0: The show that's trying to pull a rabbit out of its hat. I'm your host, Dickers Kane. I'm Nova. this is Aliens After Dark. On today's episode, we're going to be doing something a little bit different than we normally do. Uh, We're going to be... This episode's not going to be as as conspiracy-heavy or as alien-heavy. It's really just, in my opinion, such a good story that it just has to be told. Whether it has anything to do with conspiracies or not, it's just a fascinating bit of history that I think needs to be shared more. So, let's start off with this. Um, You have certain people in different industries who become the best at what they do. So you think of people like Muhammad Ali, uh, Michael Jackson, the King of Pop, Elvis, King of Rock and Roll, Uh, you have like Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Um Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, kind of you know you have these different like Wayne Gretzky hockey player. um you have different people that you kind of think of when you think of certain industries and then you have people like Penn and teller, David Copperfield, Chris Angel, like when you think of those guys like you think of like a musician or a magician, but you don't necessarily think magic. There's certain people that they're not only revered as the greatest of all time but their name is synonymous with you know whatever they're doing like today's topic houdini one of my i don't know i wouldn't say idols but i definitely admire his career and his life and and just kind of the man that he was Um, he's fascinating fascinating character in history and i think this is just going to be a really fun episode so can you think of any people who are like their names are kind of have become synonymous with what they do because like houdini like the thing about houdini is like when you think of the name houdini or you say houdini or somebody says it you think magic you don't think like you know a magician like it's his name is basically a reference to magic itself like when you think of chris angel angel you think of like a, ma- a magician or david copperfield like you know a magician but with yeah. houdini his name is kind of synonymous with magic
1: i've even heard that too people saying like oh you pulled a houdini or right
2: yeah
1: right, yeah um someone that comes to mind for me is um like albert einstein like yeah. people will say you're like a modern day einstein you know it's like a reference to being a genius
0: yeah yeah that's a really good one einstein's name yeah has become synonymous with intelligence or mm-hmm. being smart or being a genius yeah that's a, that's a really good that's a really good uh, example he's somebody who's like his name is synonymous with science almost like when yeah. you think of einstein you think of a, one of the biggest breakthroughs of you know science discovery and so that's that's a that's a perfect example i think maybe one of the only other examples that you can really do because even like isaac newton he doesn't. His name's not really synonymous with anything like that, like the same way maybe da Vinci,
2: yeah. I
0: guess, like in a certain way. But even then, da Vinci did so many things that his name's not really synonymous with any one thing. Like he's known for being a great painter and a great inventor and a great scientist and, you know, all these other things. But he's not so specific with one thing. Even like Mozart and, and Beethoven, like you think of classical music, but you don't think of music, mm-hmm. like just in general like with Houdini you think of magic with Einstein you think of being a genius or smart you know or or science so maybe Tesla maybe Tesla I he's kind of Tesla. his he's kind of like not i going to say synonymous but like kind of with like energy or electricity mm-hmm. um, but that also comes a little bit more with like Elon Musk yeah. having the Tesla so it's a common word now so I don't know
1: I haven't really heard Tesla, the name used, like I have Einstein or Houdini. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, needless to say, on today's episode, there's going to be a little bit more wonder than there is conspiracy. Um, but, like I said, it's just too good of a story not to tell. So, so who is the Great Mystifier, the King of Handcuffs, the Prince of the Air? Um, all names given to him throughout his life sometimes by himself sometimes by the public and he definitely seemed to live up to all of them Uh, he was called many things in his fascinating life he accomplished many great things he was the first man to fly a plane in australia Uh, he was the first action movie star he was a president and founder of sam Uh, i believe it's the society of american magicians Uh, he was an author a journalist a pilot. A master escapologist like he was so many things besides just a magician that people don't really think about or really know about because he gets like we've been talking he's his name's so synonymous with magic and escapology that he's not really known for being the first guy to fly a plane in australia or being one of the first or the first action movie stars like he's just got a fascinating life so all of those things we're going to get to um but first, let's kind of take it back to the beginning and kind of see where everything started and, and you know, explain. Back to baby Houdini. Yeah. Um, so we'll go all the way back and we'll check out a man named uh, uh, Rabbi Mayor Samuel Weiss, or the correct pronunciation, uh, pronunciation is uh, Mayor Samuel Weiss. Uh, he, he lived in uh, Budapest, Hungary, And he had a wife uh, named Cecilia Weiss, and they had a couple of children. So um, I think this is around the 1870s, if I can remember correctly. Um, So they're living in Hungary uh, around the 1870s, and they have another baby. Uh, They welcome in a newborn boy named uh, Eric Weiss, who they named Eric Weiss. One thing that's probably not such a surprise is being a rabbi doesn't really pay the bills. Um, even in the eighteen seventies. Uh so Mayor Samuel Weiss, uh, he had to he had to you know, he had some side hustles. He had to kinda figure out other ways to bring in money and one of those side hustles was making soap. And he was a traveling soap salesman. Basically he would make soap and he would travel around different places and try and sell it.
1: That's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. I mean people are still pulling that side hustle today. Yeah. And I don't know. It just seems like it's it's easy enough for one person to do, and you can travel around and uh, make some money. So Mayor Vice, he traveled to America. He came to Appleton, Wisconsin, to sell some of his soaps, and basically he sees an opportunity. Uh, He goes back to Hungary and gets his family, and they immigrate to America. It's kind of a little bit more complicated than that. They didn't just you know it didn't just happen (laughs) like that. But basically that's what's that's what's happened you know he he sees an opportunity in america to make more money and to provide more of a life for his family so he goes back to hungary and figures out a way to get everybody to america which he finally does where he took a job as a rabbi at a mostly german speaking jewish congregation in appleton wisconsin Uh, at that point in time young eric was four years old about four years old i think it was I think it was 1874, or possibly 1878. I think it was 1874 is when, when they came over there. So when the Weiss family came to America, um, this was the first time that they changed their names. Uh, so it was W-E-I-S-Z, um, and they changed it to W-E-I-S-S-E, I believe. Um, basically it's the same same exact pronunciation just a little bit different spelling and the spelling is kind of more of a german style so they fit in a little bit better with their new um, german congregation eric's name also got changed in spelling from e-r-i-k to e-h-r-i-c-h so from eric to eric again just to kind of suit their new german congregation and kind of that style of name so they'd fit in a little bit better and things would be a little bit easier um the name eric 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 uh the name eric evolved to erie um which is basically just kind of like an abbreviated like
1: so he changed it again
0: no it's just kind of like what people started calling him so like if your name's john people call you johnny or robert and people call you bobby or whatever um if his name was Eric, and people called him Harry, Or at least his mom did it at first, and that kind of caught on. And then he Americanized it a little bit more, and it changed to Harry, H-A-R-R-Y. So um, at a young age, Eric found and basically fell in love with magic. He started... So, so let me explain some things, because you have to put yourself in that time frame and in that time like in the 18 late 1800s and early 1900s there's not things like television there's not movies yet there's not their forms of entertainment are a lot different so there's no movies no movie stars no internet no real concerts I mean things that you have are like you have like plays operas orchestras maybe jazz if it was, like, in the early stages or maybe blues. I don't think you really had concerts, though. Certainly not, like, how we think of concerts nowadays. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and all of that is really more, like, adult entertainment. Like, it's not really geared towards kids. So, I mean, kids can go play outside. They can use their imagination. You know, they can play outside. (laughs) Or they can read books. Or they can go to the circus.
1: Mm.
0: And that's like the one main form of entertainment, like the circus or the county fair, which usually has a carnival or circus type, you know. Atmosphere. Atmosphere, yeah. Something coming in or setting up or whatever on tour in that town. So that's really the main form of entertainment for the, for children, for the family in those times. And Eric was a child in those time and times and found the circus became really just enthralled and loved it and was fascinated um kind of just en- enchanted by the circus if you will um threw himself into it and that was everything for him um also like if you kind of think about it like there's no movie stars so like people don't grow up like how in our society right now people grew up like thinking you know oh I'm going to make it big I'm going to go to Hollywood and be a movie star or I'm going to quit my job and, you know, make it big as a rock star or whatever. That's not really a thing back then because you don't really have rock stars and you don't have movies yet. So for people back then, it was like, I'm going to run away and go to the circus and make it big. And that Mm -hmm. was one of the ways where, you know, you had this type of American dream. Like, I'm going to drop what I'm doing and, you know, go become a star. Well, there's no movies again. There's no rock and roll like there's no music stars and movie stars so you become a circus star you're not really book stars you know so it's like it's I guess maybe some would dream about being authors but again that's not like the dream of you know leaving your home and going making it big and and
1: wasn't the circus back then too more more like a Cirque de Soleil Cirque
0: yeah they had a lot more um different types of like classic acts like there's yeah, a like lot more, more people just like
1: not like animals and stuff mm-hmm. yeah
0: well there's a lot with animals but there's also a lot with like sideshow acts fire breathing sword swallowing is it like
1: bearded lady bearded and stuff ladies. like that wow. yeah um i can see how a kid would be like yeah this is my new life <laughs> yeah yeah
0: so yeah it's definitely appealing i mean on top of like you know peanuts everywhere popcorn cotton <laughs> candy i don't think i don't know if they had cotton candy yet but like they didn't, really add, didn't like, know. peanuts and, and hot dogs and popcorn. So, you know, like, classic circus stuff. So, like, of course, kids are going to, you know, kids are going to eat that shit up. Literally and figured. <laughs> so at this point, Eric begins to kind of learn as much as he can about magic and about the circus. And he decides to kind of start tuning and developing his body and uh, really just trying to get it, like, in better shape. For Eric Weiss... Um, His body became like a tool to making it to making it big to making it as a star Uh, he started to train at around seven or eight years old and really just focus on developing his body into like basically a a Machine a perfect he wanted to be a perfect specimen if my timeline is correct um, sometime around this point is when um, the vice family kind of falls on hard times Uh, they end up moving to New Jersey and I'm pretty sure it's because. So at this point, um, the rabbi ends up losing his job. Basically, he speaks German, and I don't know if he refuses to learn English, but he's really not interested in, in learning English. And at the, in their Jewish congregation, there happens to be an up and coming rabbi who also speaks English and is more appealing to a younger crowd. So the younger rabbi ends up getting the job and kind of replacing uh, Mayor Samuel Weiss and so they end up moving to the vice family ends up moving to new jersey i believe because of he lost his job in wisconsin so the family moves to new jersey where eric is exposed to coney island <laughs> which is like a mecca back then for these types of things you know sideshow fire breathing sword swallowing um all these types of things you know uh, yeah, the freak shows, the mm-hmm. the tall man or biggest man, bearded man, bearded lady, uh, <laughs> bearded <wild> man. man. <laughs> yeah. So there's <laughs> there's all these um, different new things that he's being exposed to. So also, this is this was one that I'm not really sure when it happened. If it happened before he moved to New Jersey or when once he made it to New Jersey, but he was around eight years old and he harry or uh, eric dropped out of school basically he stopped going to school and he he had about a a third grade education and he stopped going to school oh totally yeah totally so basically like like just because his family falls on hard times and so he starts working and making money so one thing that he did when he was a kid uh he kind of like combined like a side hustle with his also his passion and so he would have like a he created this like backyard trapeze show in his backyard and he would charge people in the neighborhood like five dollars a ticket to come and watch him do these like you know trapeze stunts which five dollars a ticket back then is about like 30 about 30 bucks today Mm -hmm. so i mean that's expensive tickets yeah that's pretty good tickets for a little kid you know and it was all just to help you know make money for the family again i'm not sure if this i'm pretty sure it happened in wisconsin but i'm not positive i can't remember um exactly if he had moved to new jersey yet but i'm pretty sure it was in i got the i have the feeling that it was in uh it was in wisconsin uh he also he was took the name of uh harry prince of the air in his like trapeze show and that was kind of the name that he went by so again, he only has a third grade education. Uh, he began working different jobs to help kind of pay for things for his family, um, you know, bills and food and expenses and stuff. When he was about 11, Eric and his father go to New York and basically just to work. Uh, it's just him and his father uh, and to send money back to the rest of the family. Um, at this point, Eric worked as a shoeshine. Uh, he was a paper boy, um, really anything he can do. He was a messenger boy. He also worked at a uh, at a, like a tie factory with his dad um his dad worked at a at a tie cutting factory and Eric got a job as a tie cutter who basically like cuts out the um the outline or the shape that gets like sewn into a tie hmm. so um and so and he worked there with his father so that was kind of that'd be kind of weird like how crazy would it be to like go to work and also your kids have a job there too
1: yeah your little kid that's yeah. what's crazy like
0: a 10 year old or 11 year old like i'm sure they were younger like there weren't really laws set in place at that point in time to
1: everybody come work to make uh, money for your family yeah it's kind of crazy
0: or even like if you're a 10 year old kid and you're going to work but then your parents are also there yeah that would be weird too like both sides vice versa it's like it's all weird so um he's got this job at this at this tie factory you know cutting ties and he meets a boy named Jacob Hyman and they become pretty good friends Uh, eventually they started a little magician act together and um, so this this part right here is extremely important or at least an important moment in Eric's life so right around the time that he moves to New York with his dad and is working making money and meets this boy Jacob Hyman Eric also reads a book or, or gets a book, a super important book, called The Memoirs of Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin. He's uh, a French magician. And basically he becomes enamored um, with magic even more and basically just obsessed at this point. Like he's completely obsessed and enchanted by everything magic and everything Robert Houdin he shares his passion with his friend Jacob Hyman who also kind of catches the bug if you will Um, after reading the book Eric and uh, Jacob have kind of like this new motivation to create this magic show and Eric goes even harder and turns up you know turns up the notches turns up the level on turning his body into more of a physical spe- specimen and developing developing it even more. Uh, he began to run like five miles every day. Uh, I think it was right around Central Park or at, even at Central Park he was running five miles every day. Uh, he would practice juggling, tumbling, trapeze tricks. Uh, he began to practice sleight of hand, card tricks. He would hang upside down from trees. Um, Just to like see as uh, you know he would do it as long as he could. Uh, He at that point at eleven years old trained himself to hold his breath for three minutes. The world record is like four and a half minutes, also held by Houdini. (laughs) So like at eleven years old he can hold his breath for three minutes. That's a ridiculous thing. I get like, I think I think without practice I think the average person can get around thirty seconds. But, like, also the act of holding your breath is, like, the second you start holding your breath, you're poisoning yourself with co- carbon, anoxide, carbon dioxide. I so see,
1: it's 11 and a half minutes. The record? hmm No. The world record for a non-oxygen-assisted breath hold is 11 minutes and 35 seconds. Oh, shit, then, really? And uh, then a woman holds a record uh, for nine minutes. And two seconds.
0: Damn. Well, at some point, then thank you for correcting me. <laughs> at some point, Houdini had the record for, and it was like four minutes. I didn't even know that they, somebody had ever beat him. I watched that Penn and Teller, a Penn and Teller thing, the other day, and they were talking about how he held the record. So maybe somebody should fact check Penn and Teller.
1: I think these are like divers, so they practice mm-hmm. like.
0: That's the first thing I thought was like divers must yeah like free divers or whatever um so okay so well at least i mean so nonetheless at 11 years old he's still holding his breath for three minutes like on average without practicing i think you can get to about 30 seconds maybe a minute i could not yeah so that's pretty remarkable for that age so again he begins to kind of learn as many skills as he can uh and really just develop his body into like this peak form or peak uh condition so there's this story of him when he was a little kid that okay i think it was when he was around eight years old supposedly he was working at a locksmith's place and this is kind of an interesting story so little eric weiss uh he's working at uh as as an apprentice at a locksmith shop and a uh, policeman comes up and he's got a prisoner with him and apparently the prisoner had been set free. He'd been found innocent. And he was arrested for a crime that he had later been found innocent of. So, I guess this happens quite regularly. Um, So, the police officer will take the prisoner to the locksmith, and the locksmith will saw off the uh, handcuffs. You know, take off, remove the handcuffs from the free prisoner.
1: There were no keys to the handcuffs?
0: I don't know if they always had keys. Hmm. I don't know. But I guess that was like a normal practice where you would bring...
1: A locksmith with you.
0: You would bring the prisoner to a locksmith. Oh, I see. And he would he would saw.
1: That's interesting. The, uh, <laughs> interesting way to do it.
0: So the policeman, I guess, is kind of like I don't want to do this right now. I'm kind of bored. So he's talking to the locksmith and he's like, "Hey, you know, you want to you know, why don't you let the kid do this? Let's get a beer." So the locksmith guy is like, "Yeah, okay. Let's get a beer." So he gives this like huge innocent man <laughs> to Harry and he's like alright Harry you saw off the uh, cuffs and we'll be in this other room drinking a beer so Harry sits down with the uh, with this giant you know guy and starts to kind of saw off you know starts to, to, to do the job starts to saw off the cuffs mm-hmm. and then at a moment of brilliance young Eric stands up and basically goes over to like I think grabs like a piece of wire um, yeah, like a piece of wire and, or a couple pieces of wire. He grabs like a couple little things and comes over, t- back over to handcuffs and picks the lock within the blink of an eye. And that was his first experience mastering handcuffs. Uh, later on, he says that um, that first, that man was the only person that ever saw and knows Harry's secrets of escaping handcuffs so he basically says that that's the only man to know his secrets now this story is most likely apocryphal it's there's a funny thing with Houdini where he not only embellished he flat out lied he deceived he made up um, a very good story about his life and because of the times that it was it's taken a long time to kind of decipher what was true and what wasn't. Uh he was kind of always bumping up his own story and his own his own accolades and his own accomplishments and it's you just kind of have to like wade through what was true and what wasn't. The incredible thing is a lot of it was true. So what can be said though is that he's beginning to learn and master locks and handcuffs around this time. So Let's go back and explain something that we skipped over. But first, let's take a break. So we're gonna take a break real quick, and then we'll come back and explain. I'm gonna go into detail on Robert Houdin and kind of the origin story on what kicked off Houdini's, you know, fascination and inspiration with magic, and the, this, you know, this one book changed everything in Houdini's life. Um, so we'll we'll dive into that and kind of help explain really the um, the lens that Houdini begins to look at life through, and I think that's super important to kind of really see why he ends up making some of the decisions that he makes. So mm, let's take a break real quick, and we'll be right back right after these tunes. <laughs> Welcome back so we left off kind of talking about eric weiss as a young child and he finds this book called the memoirs of jean Eug- jean eugene robert Houdin*, <laughs> and it changed his fucking life and ours as well <laughs> so magic itself goes back as far as the Egyptians. I mean, I think there's hieroglyphics that, or hieroglyphs that, you know, depict... I think they have a name as, like, a sorcerer, but it's really just somebody doing tricks on a stage performing for their kings or their emperors or their pharaohs or whoever. So it goes back, uh, the art of, of uh, magic and, and being a magician goes back pretty far. In Eric Weiss's day, there was one name in magic, and that was... Robert Houdin uh, he was a French man and basically he was if you kind of google his name and you kind of look some stuff up about him he's credited with being the first man to wear like a top hat and tux with like, like a formal coat oh, and yeah. tails uh, so he's credited with being the first man to wear that on stage in a, in a performance before Houdin uh, magicians wore like colorful costumes or also like they dress like wizards mm-hmm. or They dressed, they wore like turbans and were like, you know, the East was a magical and mysterious place. So Mm -hmm. they kind of like brought that to the stage. Um, But as far as this Houdan goes, he, so he writes this book of his memoirs and kind of explains the story of his life. So I'm going to... Summarize basically his book and explain to you kind of who he was and what his origin story was, and it'll kind of give you a better idea of what um, Eric Weiss saw and what kind of in- inspired him. So, um, as a young boy, uh, Robert Houdin, uh, his father was a clockmaker, and basically he went into the family business. Um, the story goes he his dad wanted him to be like a lawyer or a doctor but he really wasn't interested in that so he ended up just working at the uh the clock shop you know or whatever um so one day Houdin is at a, a bookstore and he's buying a book on clockwork mechanics and the shop owner accidentally gives him another book as well Called an illustrated dictionary of scientific amusements, which is basically just a book of like diagrams and blueprints and instructions on how to do magic tricks and how to build, you know, inventions that work for magic, like with different boxes and, and magic, you know, contraptions and mm-hmm. devices. So, Houdan becomes obsessed, similar to Eric Weiss. He just gets like super obsessed and fascinated with all this like m- magician stuff um, in this book and he just basically begins going to as many magic shows as he can whenever or wherever he could. I guess there's a lot of fairs back then that would kinda go around and, and they would have traveling magicians with him. So he would travel around to all these different fairs and just see as much magic as he could. So apparently one night he gets food poisoning at one of these fairs which I guess that's not something that's changed in the last couple hundred <laughs> years. <laughs> um, so he gets food poisoning at one of these shows, and basically he's on this, like, um, what are they called, like a horse carriage ride home, and he ends up like getting so sick that he throws himself off the horse carriage and lands in this ditch. And for some reason the horse carriage doesn't turn around and stop and get him. Like, they literally just, like, I don't know if it was, like, an old old, old school, like, taxi, and he's just, like, I'm out. And the guy's, like, all right, peace. Like, not my (laughs) problem. So dramatic. Yeah, so he's just, like, all right, bye. So needless to say, he ends up in a ditch, and he's almost dead, basically at the end of his life, and out of nowhere someone, you know, comes and saves him. And it turns out that the man who saves him was the magician that he was.
1: No way. Was
0: um, there to see at that fair that night. A man named, I think it was like the great Torini. So this magician basically saves his life, brings him home, or brings him back to the fair, and, you know, helps him get him back on his feet and in his health, and then, you know, sends him on his way. Now, Houdain obviously knows that this is the magician that you know he just saw on stage the night before a couple nights before so he's super interested starts asking a bunch of questions trying to figure out you know like you know showing a lot of interest and this guy Torini is kind of like okay he's a bit wary at first and he's got a bit of a crazy tragic wild story so Let's go back even further and talk about who is the Great Torini. The Great Torini is not his real name, obviously. His real name is Count Edmund de Greasy. Uh, he was a magician named the Great de Greasy. So, so the story goes about this Great de Grisi, um supposedly he played he performed uh for the pope at the vatican uh some credit De Grisi as doing like the first saw girl on half trick um, mm. so he was like the first guy to do that his story is in this this book of memoirs so when De Grisi was younger so this this torini alias or whatever he's a lot older now so when De Grisi was younger and traveling around and in his prime you know of fame and fortune as a, as a magician, he, uh, went and supposedly performed for the Pope of the Vatican and he had this special trick called, uh, the bullet trick or bullet apple trick. So basically I'll explain the trick and then we'll kind of go from there. But basically this trick is pretty cool. Um, I cannot remember, gosh, <sighs> it's going to so it's a famous famous story in literature, and I cannot remember um, the story right now, which is going to drive me absolutely crazy, because I have it on the tip of my tongue. But anyways, it's a it's a story about um, the guy who shoots the apple off the guy's head with an arrow. Like you put an apple on somebody's head, and the guy shoots it off with an arrow. Right? We've all heard that story. <clears throat> I cannot remember. Um, Tell William Tell William Teller William Tell. Anyways. Um, I know you're looking it up right now, but <clears throat> the guy shoots an arrow off somebody's head. We all know that story. So this magic trick basically involves um, the great Degrassi. He has his son on stage, and his son will hold an apple in his mouth. Um, they get a volunteer from the audience, just a random person, and they come up, stand you know, across the stage, and shoot a bullet at the apple. And his son will catch the bullet, In the apple and so they do this trick basically it's just a really simple trick the gun has blanks in it doesn't even have real bullets and then with a little sleight of hand okay so basically what will happen is the man will shoot the gun uh, assuming it's completely real you know he has no idea Uh, he inspects the gun you know everything can't tell it's blanks so he shoots the gun the boy reacts as if he's getting hit in the mouth with a bullet catching it in an apple and then a little sleight of hand they switch out the apple with an apple that has a bullet inside, and the, you know, they cut open the apple, and there's a bullet, and the audience is amazed. And you know, mm-hmm. it's a crazy, awesome trick. <laughs> the problem is, one night, the bullet doesn't get switched out for blanks, and somebody gets on stage to do the trick. Regular audience member, um, Degrassi, even made a comment where he said that basically he was surprised that people were so ready to jump on stage and shoot a loaded gun at his son. But you know, whatever. So one night somebody does that, just that. And the gun is loaded with a real bullet, goes, uh, hits his son right between the eyes and he dies immediately.
1: Oh my God.
0: Yeah. So the basically, you know, Reacts naturally, uh, starts freaking out. You know, is on top of his son, crying and moaning and screaming. And um, it's said that he had to have like a, a the mob had to pull him off of his son. The bad, the even worse news is he ends up having to go to court for it, and They're he handing gets
1: someone a loaded gun.
0: Well, he basically gets charged and found guilty of homicide by imprudence. Uh, he's God. sentenced uh, six months in jail. Or the murder of his son. <laughs> like he, not only does his son get murdered in this freak accident, he's blamed for it and has to do time for it. Not only is his career over, but
1: I'm just surprised that a magician's gun would have had real bullets in it, anyways. Yeah, like I don't that know just how seems so bizarre.
0: Yeah. As the story goes, um, he basically he goes to jail for six months. His life's over. He doesn't know what to do. He gets out of jail and pretty much the only person left in his life is his brother-in-law and I assume I guess his sister. Um, So his brother-in-law kind of helps him after everything. Uh, He realizes that Degrassi needs to kind of get back into being a magician. It was like the one thing that he loved to do so his brother-in-law kind of tries to help him get back into it. Degrassi eventually begins performing again under the name Torini. he then meets hudan and basically obi-wan kenobi's his ass and <laughs> eventually he kind of like reveals who he would wi- who he is you know he's the great degrassi and you know explains his life story to to, to um Houdin, and kind of Imparts all of his tricks and passes this proverbial torch onto um, the great Houdin, Robert Houdin. And eventually, like Torini, you know, his health begins to fail and his body begins to fail him and he ends up dying. And Houdin is past the mantle of the great Torini or the great Degrassi. And there's even a story where like there was one night uh so for a long time De Degrassi or I'm sorry for a long time Robert Houdin was just De Grassi's assistant he was just kind of on stage with him helping out doing the assistant role in the show observing and learning and being an apprentice one night the story goes that uh Torini fell ill and couldn't go on so Houdin dressed up like Torini, put on like a, a you know, a wig and and put on makeup and stuff and dressed up like him. And he said that it was kind of a clumsy, a little bit sloppy of a show, but he did pretty good. And he completed the show. And after that, he kind of never looked back. And they, you know, passed the torch, if you will, or you know, I wouldn't say they went their separate separate ways right away because I believe like, Hudan doesn't uh split ways until until uh Degrassi or Torini dies but eventually he dies and they split ways and and uh Houdin becomes this great you know whatever and so I mean like this story relates pretty well with Eric Weiss and you know it's resonating with him and he basically becomes fascinated or enchanted with Robert Houdin and Eric shows Jacob the book, you know, he basically shares his passion with his friend Jacob Hyman. They become super interested in doing this, so they start their own magician act called The Brothers Houdini. And Eric was, from now on, Harry Houdini. And that's where he kind of... All of that is just kind of how he evolved his name. (laughs) (laughs) Everything up until now is how he got his name. So that's Harry Houdini, and from now on, we'll be Harry Houdini. Um, Eric, or Harry, basically writes that they got the name from... Okay, so... First off, they were mispronouncing the name uh, Houdin, or Houdin. Maybe like maybe even like Houdin, They were mispronouncing it, because it was a French name, they were mispronouncing it Houdin. And... According to Eric Weiss, they thought that adding an I at the end was to say that something was like something else in French language. So basically like if you were saying like that's Michael Jackson E
2: hmm. like
0: that's like Michael Jackson or that's Einstein E hmm. like that's like Einstein, you know So <clears throat> he basically says that that's how he that's how they came up with the name. Um, it's most likely that, the friend Jacob was the one who actually came up with the name Houdini, but it's really hard to prove one way or the other. Yeah. And there's another possibility. Somebody has stated, I can't remember who it was. I found it in my research, but basically somebody stated that um, they took the name Houdin and Torini and kind of mashed it and made Houdini. That one, again, it's it's hard to prove because Houdini himself wrote, how he came up with the name and how he said that it was you know Houdin like or Houdin like and it was Houdin E you know like even like we use that and so some people have gone as far to say like that's how we came up with adding the I or mm-hmm. adding the Y to the end of words to you know like that's very revenge e or that's very <laughs> you know insert you know verb here or noun here pronoun here but like um that's again that's that's probably just speculation that's so hard to prove that but they began from that point on to perform perform together as the brothers Houdini all the way up until Jacob joins the army in somewhere around the 1890s and basically Harry just continued as Harry Houdini once Jacob goes to the army Houdini's younger brother Dash kind of steps in and takes over that role as Dash Houdini.
1: That's like a good stage name.
0: Yeah, Dash. His real name is uh Theodore.
1: Oh,
2: yeah. So
0: <laughs> now Houdini may have only had a third-grade education, but he never really stopped learning. Um throughout his life he was really just obsessed with the study of the history of magic uh basically by reading or eventually even just collecting historical items he branched out into collecting a lot of other items like stuff from spiritualism anything to do with magic or escapology uh lots of different types of like art or like movie stuff um airplane stuff like he had he Houdini got, became pretty wealthy and was able to buy quite a lot of things I think he, he even bought a dress that was made for uh, Queen Vic, is it, or Queen Elizabeth Queen Elizabeth or Queen Victoria I can't remember which one it was either way he bought a uh, dress for his mother that was made for the queen um, so he anyways he was obsessed with learning and continued learning throughout his life he ended up publishing books and you know memoirs of his own and stories of his own and so the fact that he had a third grade education really didn't slow him down at all Uh, soon Harry discovered more about Houdin and Houdini became convinced that Houdin had really just stolen most of his tricks from other uh, magicians Uh, Houdini began to write a book which he then published in 1908 I believe it was 1908, and it's called uh, The Unmasking of Robert Houdin. Basically, saying that, you know, this quote, the father of magic and blah, 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 like he's not, he, he's a charlatan, he's a fool. And it's just kind of like this weird, um, uh, like dichotomy, I guess, or like it's just this weird, like, juxtaposition that, like, Houdini is kind of going after Robert Houdin, his longtime hero and idol. And he's kind of like as he's rising to fame, he's knocking down the guy who was the GOAT, you know, before him. And also it's super hypocritical because at pretty much everything that Houdini ends up accusing Robert Houdin for, he ends up doing himself. He ends up committing all these same quote, you know, like crimes. But Houdini has a has a specific it's important to know, like, he has a specific perception on like, he thinks there's a, an honorable way to lie. There's an honorable way to deceive people, and that's how he does it. He doesn't do it in the dishonorable way or in the, just, I mean, as simple, like, the bad way. Like, he does it in the good way and the right way. So for him, the way he does it, it's not a bad thing. And there's some logic to that. Like, when you're thinking about, like, the, the profession of being a... a Magician It's Entirely based on deception Like it's the only job you have Where somebody pays to come be deceived by you You Mm, know Like they're they're paying you to lie to them They're paying you (laughs) to deceive them Or you know Create an illusion That they can't figure out They're ready They're paying to be tricked And the magicians that claimed that it was real magic that's what houdini really didn't like and he kind of went after robert houdin for quote stealing all these other tricks and blah 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 um for example he found out that he wasn't the first man to wear a top hat and tucks with tails on stage he wasn't um a lot of the shit that he was claiming to do he didn't actually do he stole from other people and maybe he did them but he stole them from other people and blah 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 so houdini found all this stuff out in his research and writes this book the unmasking of robert houdin this was something that was really kind of crazy but houdini ended up dying before he actually found out but he was right robert houdin was kind of full of shit Torini, the great Torini, or the great degrassi never even existed
1: oh my god
0: the whole origin story everything that about it was not even true none of it was real Degrassi wasn't the first guy to cut a woman in half he wasn't he never played in front of the pope the bullet trick with the apple was never a real thing it's insane you got me there yeah I (laughs) I wanted to kind of build it up as if it was all real so like you kind of saw it as Houdini did but like he didn't even find out that that part wasn't true. But basically, a lot of it was just completely made up and fabricated, and it's just kind of crazy that, like, Houdini was so right without knowing. Without ever knowing. I I don't think we found that out until, like, the 1970s, that even today, what's kind of crazy is, like, even today, if you go look up um, Degrassi or Torini... You'll still find things that say that they, you know, that's the father of... Or even, like, Robert Houdin, like, that's the father of magic or the guy who was the first person to saw a lady in half or, you know, whatever. Like, it'll still say... You'll still find that out there. But it's all just kind of... it's It's been turned into such a legend or a myth that it's hard to, like, prove or disprove, especially without the records, mm-hmm. you know, that we have today. Like, it's just hard to, like, dig that stuff up. Like, but...
1: Who knew the magic community had so much drama? Lots of drama. Lots of drama. I like it.
0: (laughs) Well, okay, and so this is where kind of like you have Harry in this like career-long contradiction or hypocrisy where like he's constantly fighting with the idea of, you know, deceiving people the right way or deceiving people the wrong way and like he's taking these stands against like, you know, dishonorable deception <laughs> um, it's just kind of like a weird facet of his life that, that's I don't know I find it interesting so I mean it's it's even in Houdini's own life you have to step back and look and think like okay is this actually true is this actually something that happened or is this kind of made up uh, we'll get to some of the things that were true and some of the things that were made up So let's go back to when he was a kid. Houdini, I think, let me see, I have it here. He was eight years old. Okay, here it is. Um, So Houdini was about 12 years old, and his older brother, Herman, ends up dying. He gets tuberculosis, and he passes away. Later that year, Houdini's father, Mayor Samuel Weiss, passes away as well. Basically, he, on his deathbed, he has Houdini make a promise, like, promise me you will provide for my wife. I think there's even, um, or for your mother, you know. Mm-hmm. I think there's even a quote where, uh, so I think Houdini had, I think she had, his mom had eight kids, seven or eight kids. So on um, Mayor Samuel Vice's deathbed, you know, um, Cecilia Vice is quoted with saying, you know, like, damn you, Mayor Weiss, like, you're leaving me with these children. <laughs> like, she says something along those lines, like, how am I going to take care of these children you're leaving me with? Right oh, my God. And so... Poor woman. Yeah. And so Eric ends up making a promise that he will, you know, provide for his mother his entire, you know, for her life. Make sure she has a good life and take care of her. So pretty quickly after that, around 12 years old, he joins the circus and... Sends his mom a postcard telling her he's going to go to Galveston, Texas, and join the circus. Story goes, according to Houdini, that he gets on the wrong train, the wrong box train, and makes it to Kansas City and joins the circus there and you know, makes his, ends up making his way back to Wisconsin. So he's doing a lot of this with um, his friend uh, Jacob, and at some point Jacob ends up joining the army, think it was around 18 or 19 years old when harry was around 18 or 19 years old when jacob joined the army probably about the same age and that's when theodore dash houdini steps in and takes jacob's place and they're still you know the brothers houdini kind of a fun side note um dash houdini he has a very similar career to to harry um clearly in his shadow but not really like in a bad way i don't think he's ever spiteful or like envious of harry or jealous like he's just kind of along with the you know it's it's all about family to to yeah, the houdini's cool. so um dash becomes a uh, a magician um eventually once harry meets his wife she steps in and and i think they're just called the houdini's hmm. um which harry's the main focus she's the assistant once that happens Dash kind of is with them for a while still and then eventually makes his way on his own, splits off and goes solo and becomes the Great Hardeen, which Harry, supposedly Harry came up with the name, the Great Hardeen for his brother Dash. Now they did this kind of cool thing where like they would play to the media and to like journalists and newspapers, like that they were rivals and that they were, you (laughs) know, like they would play like this, like act in the public or in in you know public eye or whatever as if like you know like hardeen would come to town and be like you know i'm doing like he would do a show the next night and it would be you know they would talk shit about each other and talk shit on each other there was one point where uh, they were reporters were questioning hardeen because um, he was going to the city that harry was going to be in and he said something and he was like harry my brother you know he was like he's a great uh, magician probably one of the best out there i would definitely let him be my assistant <laughs> and um i guess that was the one time that harry was like you'd went too far and um... so apparently dash was like okay i'm sorry and that'll never happen again <laughs> but it also like wasn't a big deal like they kind of it was just like they were playing to that a good amount you know and they would they would they would send comments to the newspapers about you know coming to town and their brother's gonna be there or whatever and so they would play with that a lot and that was kind of fun Hardeen the great Hardeen he was an escape artist as well he would do handcuffs and uh, the metamorphosis trick Um, I would definitely look up uh, metamorphosis on YouTube you'll find there's a really good video of Houdini's brother Hardeen doing metamorphosis and uh, it's it's fucking crazy we'll get to that in a minute when we get to all the tricks and stuff but that one's a really really fun interesting trick and it's on youtube you can go check it out right now there's not a whole lot on youtube with houdini actually in it um there's a couple tricks there's one of him hanging upside down getting out of a straight jacket and there's a couple of him jumping off a bridge handcuffed and he'll like come up from the water um with the when you know free with his hands mm-hmm. with the handcuffs in one hand and supposed to around his hands there's there's a couple just little things there's really not a lot on a lot of footage on Houdini there's some pictures too but not a lot of video um, but there is a really good video of Hardine doing doing the metamorphosis and I would definitely recommend checking that out because that was an awesome video um 1894 the brothers have been performing in Coney Island for about a year I think it was uh Harry was I think 20 years old and he meets a woman named Wilhelmina Beatrice Rainer <laughs> otherwise known as Bess she was either with like a traveling choir or like show, a showgirls show and Houdini had went to see her and basically just fell in love Um, they basically, yeah, like I don't, (laughs) the, the real story isn't as like fantastic as the story I'm about to tell you that they tell, but basically like he saw her in a show and ends up like asking her out. They go out for three weeks and then they get married
1: and and
0: are together for the rest of their lives. The story that best tells is a little bit more. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh
0: yeah it's got a little je ne sais quoi <laughs> um okay so basically Bess wants hears about this show that she wants to go see the great houdini so she begs and begs her mom and her mom's like a devout catholic and so she's like uh-uh we're not doing this magic bullshit
1: that checks out
0: yeah and so Bess begs and begs and finally gets her mom to take her. So they go to this magic show to see the great Houdini. And they sit in the front row. And Houdini's doing this trick and he locks eyes with her. <laughs> and it fucks him up. And he's doing a trick with acid. or well, like a beaker of acid. He's doing some trick with with acid. And he locks eyes with her and it fucks him up and he spills the acid on her dress and ruins her beautiful blue dress or white (laughs) dress, whatever it was, ruins it. And I guess Bess's mom is like fucking laying into him. Like she just starts going off on Houdini in front of everybody. And then Bess kind of leans over and she's like it's okay. I thought you were great. (laughs) So A few days later Houdini oh no so he gets her address and he tells her he wants to replace the dress so a few days later Houdini shows up at her house with a new dress they go out and pretty much never look back they also have like a story about how um, one of the guys who like ran Coney Island they wanted to get married and their parents um, Bess's parents didn't approve so they got this guy from Coney Island this like shady carny (laughs) like leader to marry them which I think pretty sure most of it is apocryphal um it's not really it's not really what happened
1: yeah but uh lovely story though
0: yeah but they they were together for about three weeks and they did get married after that and Bess's parents did not approve all of that is true um they never approved their entire lives sad story side note and we'll skip to the very end Houdini dies first um mm. Bess dies second Houdini is Jewish and that's one of the main reasons why Bess's parents didn't approve and they didn't want any children to, to be Jew- you know grandchildren to be Jewish they didn't want any of that in- nothing Jewish so Houdini dies first and is buried in a Jewish cemetery and Bess dies if you you know years later a couple decades later i think it was and requests to be buried next to houdini and her family ignores the request and buries her in a catholic
1: wow that's fucked uh, catholic cemetery yeah and uh they you're all haunted
0: (laughs) they uh i think they're only 30 miles apart in new york which is kind of crazy it's still too far yeah so there is one niece i think um Bess Houdini has one niece still alive who has control over, you know, she has the authority to...
1: Move her? Approve,
0: yeah, approve to move her and rebury her by next to Houdini, which I think they should. Anybody out there should, you know, set up a GoFundMe, raise the money... And, Sign the petitions. And get this lady Let's to, make uh, this to move this body so they can eternally rest together because they were really in love but so that's just a kind of a sad side note that no, i don't think we
1: super got sad to that.
0: but i thought it was a cool interesting fact
2: uncool interesting, uncool, fact. interesting fact.
1: <laughs> yeah
2: yeah
0: so needless to say they began to work together and she joined the act act um Dash soon went solo, and they became just, you know, the two. And they started to experiment with a bunch of different shit. This is where it gets really cool. So they're young, they're in their early 20s. This is also an interesting fact. Houdini's a short guy. He's a physical specimen, and he's, like, a beast. Like, uh, his his body is in peak condition, peak form. Uh, Houdini was... On the shorter end of the scale, he was five foot five. Bess was even shorter. Houdini towered over Bess. She was four eleven. So
1: weren't you telling me that, like average heights back then were not what they are averaging today? Or yeah, something we like were that? talking
0: about um we were talking about Napoleon and some different stuff uh, about heights and stuff. So like Napoleon. Um, Was thought to have been really short But he wasn't actually that short He was listed at 5'2", I think it was But That was using the French measurements And I guess they're a little bit different And so Mm -hmm. he was actually like closer to 5'7", 5'8 So he wasn't as short as he As people thought he was But that's just a little detour So But anyway, so they were both Short people um, Petite Mm -hmm. But it, it worked out for their Industry. I, oh, mean, I bet I was just thinking were, the same thing. Yeah, they're flexible. They're tra- trapeze. Um, you can fit in boxes. Yeah, fit in boxes, fit in uh, crates, milk cans, all different kinds of shit that Houdini just stuffed his body into, <laughs> and uh, was able to kind of flex his way out and get out and do things and um, best as well. What I thought was really really interesting. So they were they began once they got married and, and got together and joined in the act. They started to experiment with their act and their show and how they were going to be successful. Um, They started trying a lot of different things. They had a comedy tour, like a stand-up comedy Hmm. show. Were were they funny? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so because they didn't stick with it. (laughs) (laughs) They were called The Raiders was their comedy act. Um, They tried uh, as clowns. They tried an act as clowns. They tried, uh, I'm pretty sure I read they tried as like, uh, fire spitters sword swallowers um, a bunch of just that kind of like Coney Island stuff yeah. they there was a they had an act where Houdini played a uh, <laughs> um a freak uh, like a sideshow freak mm-hmm. he was a uh, progi or prochi the Mexican wild man <laughs> was his name and he would just act like a like kind of like a caveman in oh a cage my gosh. and so that was like one of his one of the acts that they had—that um
1: that one's kind of weird. That right? one's,
0: yeah. I mean, but it's all like that carny sideshow type, like.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, even some of the bearded ladies, like they were makeup. Like, <gasps> are you about to tell on, me they weren't actually yeah, bearded? Oh beards, my god! Man. Like they would anything <laughs> that was an oddity, they would do. Like if you could, if you were ambidextrous. Remember in a uh, Lemony Snicket show, yeah. the kid who's ambidextrous. Like it was just like that. Like anything that's an oddity, even if it's not real like P.T. Barnum so and crazy. like remember they would make those um they would take animals and do like taxidermy where they would like take a monkey's head and put it on a fish or a monkey's upper body and put it on a fish's body and make like this mermaid looking thing mm. but like it's not real but it's like these sideshow things some of them are real not to mention the things that they did with animals but um, they also did like card tricks um, trapeze tricks trapeze stunts they had an entire show that was like a seance it was like a fake uh seance and he did like a spiritualism show this was around the time when spiritualism was kind of blowing up and they had this whole show that was actually pretty popular it was like starting to sell out all the time but houdini just didn't feel right about it he felt like it was taking advantage of people and making them think that it was it was real that magic was real when he he, when he knew it was all tricks so he couldn't just like lie to the people like that like they weren't paying to be sold that lie you know Mm -hmm. so those are kind of you know some of the things that they started doing that's also when he started kind of working with his handcuff stuff okay so at this point in time he's turned away from the spiritualism, spiritualism seance act that they had and that was like the one thing that was like kind of successful so at this point houdini starts to kind of doubt his talents and his skills and starts to kind of rethink should i get out of this you know should i you know go be a regular jack off and get a job at a steel mill or something you know i'm sure he's these thoughts are going through his head like when you're falling on tough times and it's hard to buy food like you're gonna rethink you know is this worth what I'm doing so he even tries to sell some of his tricks like this part blew my mind so he has this trick called metamorphosis it's one of his most famous tricks ever again go watch the video of Houdini on YouTube doing metamorphosis it's really cool but it's one of the tricks that Houdini had and made popular and a lot of people don't know this, but he was doing metamorphosis before he was doing handcuff tricks. So that kind of blew my mind when I found out. But anyways, he put up for sale the metamorphosis trick. He was going to sell the secrets to the trick and all of the, like the box or the chest that he gets locked into. And and um, we'll explain the trick in a little bit. But he was going to sell the the, you know, intellectual property of the trick, but nobody would buy it nobody fucking wanted it. So even then it's like another like failure. Like he can't even fucking sell his shit. <laughs> he can't even sell his content. So let's take a break at one of his lowest moments. And we'll all regroup kind of round out the last the last couple hours of this story. <laughs> we'll wrap we'll wrap up this uh magician
1: in a straight jacket in a straight jacket
0: <laughs> yeah okay so um let's take a break real quick and we'll be right back after these
1: tunes
0: after these messages from our instruments <laughs> Before we get started, I want to play a little game. I have a little game that I made. Okay. So, well, it's not really a game, but it's kind of just like. So, if Houdini was around today, who would endorse him? Like, who would his endorsements be? So, I thought of a couple. Okay. Okay. Thought of a couple good ones. Okay, so. <laughs> he could sign with (laughs) t-mobile because their thing is like break free from other contracts
1: oh my gosh
0: (laughs) probably have a deal with red bull
2: oh yeah somehow
0: red bull gives you wings even in a straight jacket (laughs) (laughs) um oh i thought of this one so okay imagine okay it's it's a hotels.com um no 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 okay okay hotels.com escape to some uh to somewhere better or escape to a better place right uh okay corona that's the one corona this is the one i was thinking so it's their whole thing is find your island right
1: find your beach right
0: right find your beach find your island yeah something like that so it's like it's it's you don't know it's a corona commercial first right so it comes in the shot comes in and it's like houdini in a in a jail cell and he's like trying to break out and then like it doesn't show him break out but next like he's out and then he's trying to break out of the jail of the prison and then he does all this like it's all these shots of him like breaking out of this these cuffs and his jail then his prison you don't actually see his secrets like how he does it but it's like you know commercial So then he breaks out of this prison and he's running on the beach to a beach chair and a Corona and he just sits down because it's Alcatraz and that's his (laughs) beach. (laughs) That's his island. And then it says, Corona, find your island or find your beach.
1: (laughs) That was pretty good.
0: I thought that was a good one. (laughs) Uh, AT&T, their thing is next level performance. And then I was thinking maybe like he could have like a Ralph Lauren, like, straight jacket. Oh
1: my god.
0: <laughs> or like Lulu Lemon or something something newer.
1: <laughs> Those are pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh okay, so Apple, there's is think different. All State, you're in good hands. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Bounty, the quicker picker upper. <laughs> But he could be, like, doing a magic trick with sleight of hand, like, really quickly. I don't know. That one's stupid. <laughs> Some of them are, like, too, like, like McDonald's. I'm loving it. Google's is don't be evil.
1: What? Is it really? <laughs> That's what it says. Don't be evil? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting.
0: Burger King, have it your way. He might be a good, like, Airbnb <laughs> Yeah, Belong anywhere, because he's, like man of the world yeah okay that was fun
1: yep (laughs) that was fun
0: (laughs) what would his job be if he was alive today and he wasn't a magician what was what would he do it instead
1: something crazy like radical
0: i was thinking like just something extreme like some extreme sports yeah because he was super focused on Like his body and Mm. pushing his body to the limit. So I was thinking like some kind of like X Games, like BMX or skate, skateboarder, snowboarder.
1: Skating? Well, that's not
0: really a sport. It's more (laughs) just like a fun thing that people do. I mean, I guess it kind of is a sport, but like, are there really competitions? It's more like synchronized swimming
1: Mm. just Mm. in
0: the air he might be into that he'd probably do that
1: synchronized swimming
0: whoa skydiving (laughs) synchronized synchronized skydiving he probably i was thinking like so something extreme like x games or something or like because he did a lot of different things like he wasn't just a magician he tried a bunch of different things so as long as he got big doing something he would end up trying different things no matter what yeah it's kind of weird because the magicians nowadays don't really yeah. expand outside of like being a magician like chris angel is not the first person to like be in outer space or something you know like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the first civilian to land on the moon or something like i don't know i guess nobody is, he did but... that no but oh, okay. uh houdini was the first uh, person to fly a plane in australia yeah so so let's get to all of that good stuff so we left off and Houdini was falling on hard times. Uh, he had a couple years. Him and Bess were together and they were kind of traveling around and they just couldn't figure out what what their thing was, what they could do to really make it. So like I was mentioning, he tried to sell his tricks. So right about this time, he had a show in, I think it was like 50 miles it was like an hour south of uh, Appleton or an hour north of Appleton, Wisconsin, where he grew up. And if I can remember correctly, I'm pretty sure it was in Wisconsin. So he was pretty close to his, quote, hometown, which he claims is his hometown. Uh, so he's pretty close to there. Um, and he has just the regular show. He does some handcuff tricks. Some He does his metamorphosis. He does, a, you know, and then some other, like, card tricks. And I think he has, like, one illusion and then, like um some other things he wasn't really an illusionist though so he does all these you know he does his show him and Bess and he gets his big break he happens to perform in front of a man named Martin Beck uh Martin Beck if you don't know he's basically like the guy who runs vaudeville and Again, like this is something kind of like the circus. Like there wasn't a lot of entertainment back then, so this is kind of something that like it's a traveling show. Um, There's different; it goes to different cities, different towns, and
1: that's what vaudeville is.
0: Vaudeville, yeah, Um, and there it's kind of like a circus mixed with a carnival, I guess. But like, there's they have specific acts, so it doesn't. It's not really like like um, what's how do I say it? It's not really like. You can't pigeonhole it into one thing mm-hmm. like vaudeville's not just magic acts it's not just like burlesque or it acts or it's not just like um you know freak shows or whatever like it's it's a lot of different things so if there's an act or a play or something that's has potential to make money and that people are gonna like then it'll get a, you know it'll get a shot it'll get an option so this guy martin beck happened he like he his whole claim to fame is he can spot talent, and he's really good at, like, finding the next big thing, apparently, so he discovers Houdini, he basically, like, tells him, I think it's South Carolina, I think he's, like, basically, like, meet me in South Carolina in August, I think it's, like, a couple months away, like, four or five months away, he's, like, meet me in South Carolina in August, I'll give you 60 bucks for a show, and we'll probably book you for a whole year tour, like, you're gonna tour all the and it's so it's kind of like not like a guarantee like but even though it's not guaranteed at that point in time it's what happens he goes and he does the show and then he's pretty much on the main stage and does the whole american circuit and travels to all the vaudeville you know does the whole tour so he's like gaining fame finally he's making it big he's finally got his big break side note Martin Beck ends up going on to later discover somebody you may have heard of named Charlie Chaplin. Mm -hmm. So, uh, he also discovers Will Rogers, uh, the Marx brothers. So, I mean, this guy knows what he's doing. He knows talent. He has discovered some like huge people, you know, not the least, of Houdini, you know, Mm -hmm. like. Yeah, I don't even think. I mean Houdini and Charlie Chaplin, like that's good enough for yeah, anybody.
2: Definitely. But like
0: Will Rogers and the Marx Brothers, like that's kind of that's kind of huge. So they they have their run on the vaudeville circuit and Oh no, it was in St. Paul, Minnesota. I think that's where he saw. That's where Martin Beck saw uh, Houdini's shows in St. Paul. So basically he loved the act and he was the one who advised houdini to hey maybe do some more with these handcuff tricks hey maybe work a little bit more in this escape shit this escapology stuff like Hmm. it's more dramatic it's more death-defying it's more intense and so martin beck was the one who was like hey maybe you should you know Go down this hole. Like go down this rabbit hole and see where see what you can turn out of this, you know. And like I said, he basically he makes Houdini his headliner of all the vaudeville acts and stages all around the country. Houdini, the fucking genius self promoter that he is, has this idea. Nobody tells him to do this. Martin Beck isn't doing this with other people, like other acts. Houdini decides, hey. I'm going to fucking Kansas City next week. I'm going to call the Kansas City police station. And I'm going to tell them, hey, fucking, I bet I can get out of any handcuffs that you have. I'm also going to call the paper and tell them that I challenged the police to all this. So he goes and he sets up this whole big thing the day of, you know, so say he's going to be in Kansas City Friday night. So he'll go you know, get there Thursday or whatever. He'll set up this whole big thing for Friday morning to like do this escape, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to get out of your best handcuffs or whatever. And then he drums up this huge crowd and then all those people pay to go see him in a show that night. People weren't doing that. So it's like this huge self-promotion. A lot of times he would um, do his stunts or whatever before the show. He would do his stunts, at either a police station or at the like right in front of the newspaper station so like yeah it's pretty clever he's just like i don't care if you're coming to see me i'm doing it right in front so just look out your window mm-hmm. there's about a giant crowd of people screaming and applauding like you're gonna be interested so he like forces it to get like media or to get press so it's just it's fucking genius uh, he does all these different types of escapes he starts challenging like any kind of police station any kind of handcuffs any kind of you know whatever you can try and lock me up in he basically sets puts the challenge out there that like you know it's not gonna stop him he'll take on any challenges he <clears throat> he basically becomes a, a fucking sensation at this point because nobody's been doing anything like this so He's getting pretty uh, pretty popular in America. He's gained a, you know, if a following, if you will. Like, people know who he is. He's kind of... I wouldn't say he's necessarily a household name yet, because it's still just the vaudeville circuit. But he's pretty well-known in America, so he decides to conquer Europe.
1: It's pretty interesting that you can get your name out there, like, so far when your main form of media is newspapers.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's pretty crazy. Well, it's just town by town. You just... Yeah, everybody's reading the newspaper. So as long as you're in it in every town, every time you go, then everybody's going to, you know, at least in those big towns, everybody's going to know, you know, and anybody outside or around those towns is going to be going to those towns to figure out what's going on. So they're going to hear about, you know, Houdini, this great guy who that's um, that was one of the few videos on YouTube of Houdini is him getting hoisted up in a on a crane upside down in a straitjacket, jacket and it's supposed to be I'm pretty sure it's in Kansas City it's the time that he went to Kansas City he gets he's on this like truck bed he gets like strapped in super tight and locked up in this in this straitjacket, jacket and then they like you know kind of carry him off as the As the uh, crane lifts his legs, like they Mm -hmm. hold him, you know, so his head doesn't just slam on the ground. (laughs) And then they bring him close to the building and then it just raises him up next to the building. And that's uh, the newspaper building in Kansas City. And it just shows him he's he gets taken up like five stories, six stories. And then he just like thrashes around (laughs) And gets, gets, it's crazy like how he does it because you're like watching it and you're like, what the fuck, how is he getting out? Mm-hmm. Like, because at first he's not, and then all of a sudden both of his arms are loose, and he, you're like, what the hell? And like, now he's got to get, I think he's like, he's got to get his shoulder out of something, so he's like, and he's got to get the straps undone, so he starts thrashing around more, and then all of a sudden he like takes the straps that keep the, the arms together, like the mm-hmm. hands together, and he like throws them over his feet. And then he just, like, uses his feet to, like, loosen them. And he keeps, like, working it. And then finally, like, gets it completely off. Has it, like, the jacket in one hand on, you know, hanging out to the side upside down. And then they they bring him down. And he's, like, bowing upside down as, like, bringing bringing him, lowering him down um, from the crane. There was one kind of funny story. So he did this all over the country. And there was one story where... I think something happened where like the crane broke and it wouldn't lower him down. Like he was stuck upside down and and it couldn't bring him down. And so like just the the act of being raised up on a crane, like just that alone is super dangerous. And so everything he's doing is this huge dramatic thing. Like even if he wasn't doing it in a straitjacket and going up, like if he was just being lifted upside down, six stories up and then brought back down like that alone is dangerous mm-hmm. so he keeps adding these elements that you know are death defying or whatever like he really got into this thing of like being super handcuffed like he'd put like three handcuffs sets of handcuffs on and then jump off a bridge into a river or like and then he'd come up with no handcuffs on <laughs> like he'd come up holding them in one hand
1: That's so scary and
0: like like the, it's scary he would do it in the winter in the summer like all over the place rain or shine he would like if he planned to do it if he said he was gonna do it he would do it and like he would do it in seconds like he would jump off the bridge land in the water and come up and they'd be off like he was so good so fast at doing it like it was just insane so he decides to go and conquer europe the problem is, there's no fucking internet. There's no fucking television. People in Europe don't know who the fuck he is. They're mm-hmm. not reading American newspapers. Yeah, like, exactly. New York Times isn't going to fucking London. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't how things are back then. And so, the people don't know who he is. So, he pretty much, like, has to start all over. Yeah. Um, back to ground zero. Like, he hit, and it was just him and Bess. They kind of just... Cannot remember what exactly happened with Martin Beck, but basically he was like, I'm kind of done with vaudeville and I can't really, like, go anywhere else. I can't go any higher. I, like, I've already accomplished everything.
1: Did vaudeville just travel the United States? Huh? Did vaudeville just travel the United States?
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. they were just mostly in the yeah, the U.S. Uh, I'm sure they, like, did things like, internationally, but not not really. They mm-hmm. had a lot of, like, tours in the United States. So honestly I'm not 100% sure but Mm -hmm. I know that he was kind of like done with it and wanted to move and go see what he could do in Europe so he goes on and basically nobody knows him so he goes to London and I think the story goes like he challenges Scotland Yard and they put him up I said okay this may not be his first time in London and it may not be even in London but this happened one of his prison breaks in Europe. He basically, I'm pretty sure this is the Scotland Yard one, but basically he's like, lock me up in your prison, lock me up in your handcuffs, and, you know, blah, 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 if I can escape, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like he's, he he can't book a show. So nobody, no theaters, no amphitheaters or anything, nobody will book him. Mm-hmm. So he has to like,
1: prove himself.
0: Yeah. He has to challenge all these police stations in the media and get this coverage and like drum it up. And the good thing is he had all this practice in America and he kind oh, of already really? understands how to do it. And like, it's perfect. So he does exactly that. And apparently like they lock him in the jail and they go down, um, the police like go down to, uh, um, they go down to have coffee or they, they, they leave, they like go out of the room and they go somewhere else. And, Oh, and basically, Every time he he does one of these escape tricks, just to be, like, completely transparent, he's usually either completely nude or at least just in his, like, underwear. Like, Mm -hmm. he's trying to be honest and prove, like, I'm not hiding anything. Um, most (laughs) of the time. Yeah, and most of the time he, like, especially when he does the police station ones, he has them search him, like, full search. Like, cavity search, fucking mouth search, like, everything, like, you tell me I'm not doing this, like, you know, I'm not the best person at this. Like, there's no fucking tricks here. I'm just good at this type mm-hmm. of stuff. And so he they take his clothes. I think he has his underwear still. They take his clothes. They put it in a different room. They lock that up. Basically, by the time they get to where they're going, like, in, in the prison, uh, just a few minutes later, I think it was, like, maximum of, like, six minutes, they like went to a different part of the prison and they're like going to get coffee or something or like going to sit down and wait. And they're kind of just talking shit about Houdini. He gets out, gets his clothes, gets out of the handcuffs, gets out of the jail cell, gets his clothes from a different jail cell, scales the prison walls, walks or runs a couple blocks away to the theater that he's playing or going to play and calls the police station and tells them that he's out and he's down at the, at the uh, theater and to come see him and blah, blah, blah. And so I thought that was fucking hilarious. Yeah, and it's so funny. super clever, like a clever way to like kind of promote yourself or whatever. Uh, he would do this all the time and it really worked. Uh, like there's a dynamic that we'll get into in a minute, but it really like kind of. Well, we'll just get into it right now. It, it kind of helps him with the people, I guess, like gain gain the, the fame. He's like one of the people, right? Mm-hmm. So especially when he goes to places like Russia and he uh, is is performing over there. Um, he, do, he performs in Russia and Germany, and he gets a huge following by the people because he does the same thing. He goes to the police and one-ups him basically like yeah i was
1: gonna say it's it's probably pretty shocking to read something like that like holy shit like mm-hmm. babe have you seen about this guy he like <laughs> escaped the jails and then ran to the a yeah. theater and called the cop exactly. like haha fuck you
0: <laughs> and at this point in time like the police rule like mm-hmm. in in russia and germany and like people are afraid of police like i'm sure even in in america and in england like people are not just a respect it's like a healthy healthy dose of like fear from police and so then you have this guy who's coming in and he's basically like put me in your chains and i'll get out like i will escape and so he's like a man of the people and so he gains this like huge following the weird thing is or not weird but like uh he's very jewish and he's not he doesn't hide that and this is like 19 i think it's 1905 like early 1900s and Maybe, like, late 1890s, early 1900s. This is, like, there's a lot of anti-Semitism going around, mm-hmm. and, and especially in Germany and in Russia. Like, they there's, I think, the Tsar in Russia, uh, I want to say Alexander the Great, or uh, Alexander the <laughs> Second, not the Great. Two different guys. Um, I think that's who it was. He was very anti-Semitic, and there's this story where... But it's pretty much, we're pretty sh- we're not sure exactly who made it up. Pretty sure it was just Houdini writing it to, you know, newspapers and whatever and telling them about his exploits. But it could have been somebody else or it could have been just a myth somehow propagated by somebody. We're pretty sure it's Houdini. Anyways, he has a story where he goes and he plays for, or he performs uh, to Alexander II. And basically the bells of the Kremlin haven't rang in like so many years. And he does this magic trick where he basically says that he can make the bells of the Kremlin ring again, and so he does his trick, and I can't remember what the trick is exactly, but basically Bess, his wife, is somewhere else in Russia like with a like a good angle on the bells, and she was shooting him with a air gun like a like a
1: pellet not a pellet it
0: was just like it would shoot air oh that's weird so um every time he would give the signal she would shoot the bells and they would ring and so it was like this crazy big thing that like you know houdini made the bells of kremlin ring and you know Mm -hmm. they haven't so long and blah (laughs) blah but like that that never would have happened because he never would have gotten a show with alexander ii because he was super racist very anti-semitic and so that was kind of one of the things and like also another like thing to point out of how genius he, he was every time he would like go and do something in Europe or Russia or you know wherever he would write about it and send that to the papers in the US so he was like constantly making sure that he was in the media in the United States a lot of those things also like weren't necessarily true or completely false or were just embellished or whatever you know like he wasn't always sending the truth he was just sending stories a lot of time Mm
1: -hmm. hype
0: yeah yeah a lot of hype Um, so now I want to get through a couple things a couple fun parts Okay, Um, this part is called
1: You're a Wizard, Harry. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That was was good. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Um,
0: So we're going to talk about some of his tricks. So metamorphosis, we've mentioned a couple times. That Mm -hmm. was one of his more famous ones. Um, Basically, this one is... Do you want to explain it or you want me to? You want me to? Okay. So this one is... Basically, Houdini will be on stage. Uh, He'll be standing in a bag, right? A giant cloth, you know, a giant bag. And it'll just be kind of like at his feet. It'll show you that, like, he gets his hands cuffed maybe a couple times, maybe just tied with rope, depends on what they're using. Um, Usually it's cuffed a couple times, and then behind his back. And then I think he gets his feet cuffed, um, kind of, you know, different places do different tricks, so will just kind of like you know, different uh, whatever he decides to do on this on this show or that show, so um, he gets completely locked up, then he gets the bag pulled up over his body and, and tied up over his head and then they lock that and then they, the whole time he's standing in a big trunk, so then he like, goes down onto his like hands and knees, gets under the, in the trunk they shut the trunk, lock that up, and Then, so this is where the trick happens. So usually it's Bess. She will shut the, uh, there's like, so this chest, right, that he's inside is also in a big, imagine like a bigger box, but it's just like a box made of curtains, if that makes sense. So they'll shut one of the curtains. All the other curtains are shut. So there's one curtain that's open and they shut it. Bess shuts it. And as she shuts it, she also goes inside, you know, behind the curtain. And within two seconds, three seconds, Houdini steps out, opens the curtain and steps out. And they pull out the trunk, start opening it all up. And you realize Bess is the one inside the trunk. And it happens within a, it's like a blink of an eye. It's in like a couple seconds. And they do the switch. I don't want to, I'm not going to exact, like, a lot of these shows you kind of want to, like, hear, like, oh, how did they, how did yeah, they do the trick? my first thought. How did they do it? hmm So, I'm not going to tell you how they did these tricks. I'm going to go through one, two, three, four, at least four of his main tricks. I won't tell you how he did them, but I'll go through after that and explain some of the things that he did. To get out of some of these tricks, so maybe it'll kind of make sense in a minute. So then you have the water torture, the Chinese water torture trick. Um, that one's pretty common, pretty popular. That one's I think is most popular. Basically, he gets lifted up by his ankles. Uh, he has these like shackles that go on his ankles, and they lift him up. And then, you know, they dunk his him headfirst into this. Um, what is it like a case of water, like a big glass? case of water Uh, he's upside down he's handcuffed behind his back or maybe just in front of him kind of depends on which you know what he ends up doing that day Uh, i think usually he was behind his back though uh then he basically they put a um i think his his legs are connected to like his shackles are connected to the lid so all of that goes down and And the lid goes on and his feet are the only thing that's hanging out of the water then a big curtain goes down and he basically tries to escape and a lot of times he he was like a master of suspense so a lot of times he would like have people he would tell him like hold your breath for you know while I'm in there with me and see if you can hold your breath as long as I can a lot of times especially this um, Chinese water torture trick so they, sh- they close the curtain and he's trying to escape. A lot of the time, he gets out within like a couple, you know, like pretty quickly, like a couple of minutes or a couple, I mean, a couple seconds. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't open the curtain for like three or four minutes. Like he makes it to where nobody in the crowd can hold their breath with him. Like he really builds that suspense to where everybody in the crowd's like, holy shit, is this guy fucking dead? Like. Yeah. there's no way he could have made it and then at that very last minute he fucking you know slaps that curtain open and steps out with his arms wide open and soaking wet and is like you know breathing heavy and acting like yeah (laughs) ta-da like i'm you know i'm the fucking king so those are his like two super famous ones the other one um also similar to the the water torture trick he did a lot of like milk can tricks so that if you don't know like back in the day they had these big milk cans that you can pretty much fit a small human in like a barrel yeah like a big barrel yeah so these tin or metal um milk cans and he would like kind of do this similar thing where he would get in it all handcuffed up and tied up and then he would you know escape and with that one there was like he would have people come on stage and, like, try and open the milk can, and there was, like, no way that they could do it. But, like, with that one, the trick was there's just, like, this, like, uh, it's like a suction thing where, like, you could open it from inside mm-hmm. really easily. Like, all you have to do is push up on one spot, and then it just pops open. But you, it's impossible to open it without a tool from, you know, from outside of it. So that one was just, like, a simple, like, he was the only one who could do it really easily. So, um, his next big, big famous one was the uh, He Made an Elephant Disappear. Basically, he had kind of the similar, similar thing with the um, Metamorphosis, where he has this big box that's basically just curtains, and he has an elephant go inside of it. Uh, he shuts the, the curtain, and actually, so he has this big box. He opens up the front curtain, and then he opens up the back curtain.
1: And the elephant goes out the back.
0: No, no. He opens up both, so he shows the audience oh, like I you see. can see. There's nothing back there. There's no way he can like, you know, get down or whatever. There's nothing. There's nothing back there. So then he shuts the back curtain. The elephant comes in. Then he shuts the front curtain, and, you know, you wait a couple seconds, and then they open the curtain, and the elephant's gone. From what I've seen, they're pretty sure the way he did this trick was like these curtains were just huge and they pretty much just pushed an elephant to one of the sides of the boxes (laughs) and you couldn't see around the curtain even though it was pretty much open like you just couldn't see in the box yeah so like it was just a matter of like having the right size box for the elephant
1: (laughs) and the right size elephant
0: (laughs) and yeah and the right size curtains yeah so That one was was pretty cool. Um, The last one I want to explain is one that I have not heard on any other podcast. So here's a little nugget that you're not getting anywhere else. (laughs) You heard it here on Aliens After Dark. Houdini escaped from a sea monster's belly.
2: Mm.
0: This one was the coolest thing I found, I thought. So basically a big, I think it was a whale Mm-hmm. Washes up beaches on, uh, on, um, I think it was in New Jersey or or New York, somewhere, somewhere up there. And basically, somebody like bets him, like challenges him, like, I bet you can't escape from, you know, the belly of this beast. And he does. He like climbs into this fucking decaying well. I think it was a whale. It might have been something else, but I'm pretty sure it was a whale. Gets in there, like, Star Wars style. Ugh. And escapes from handcuffs and gets out and
1: <laughs> walks back out the whale. Yeah,
0: <laughs> he makes a comment that uh, he almost like it wasn't really that hard or wasn't really that big of a deal, except for the fact that he almost suffocated from the gases from the belly of oh the beast. Oh my god! So I he thought he was probably in there awesome.
1: like I gotta get out of this quickly. <laughs> yeah, he was probably like, oh
0: man, what the fuck did I get myself into? <laughs> So, in the milk can ones, he would fill, and he, so all, every time he would do it, he would fill them with water, but he also started filling them with other shit, like, he would fill them with milk, or beer, or, you know, all kinds of different, you know, whatever he wanted, he would just, like, oh, I'm gonna go to a brewery and, and escape from a, from, you know, a milk can filled with beer, or I'm gonna go to a dairy farm and escape from one filled with milk, or, you know, whatever, it was all, it was all promotion, it was all mm-hmm. propaganda for him, and so, sure enough, like... There's an opportunity to escape from a sea monster's belly. Like, I want my name on that, you know? Like, that's what Houdini's thinking. So I thought that one was really cool. I don't know if it's true or not. I I didn't really find it on a credible source, I don't think. But I didn't find anything saying that it's not true. So, But there was a lot of his life. That it was just kind of, like, all made up. Mm-hmm. Um. So... Again, he would do a lot of handcuff tricks, a lot of straitjacket tricks, a lot of breaking out of jail cells, um, milk cans, coffins, boxes, kind of anything like that. He was just escaping from everything. So there was this one, so he he would often put out like challenges wherever he went, like anybody who can bring me a pair of handcuffs, like bring them to the show tonight, you know, like when he's doing his demonstration that, that morning or He would go to a town. He's, like, going to be there three days. I'm going to be here Thursday, Friday, and Saturday performing. So he does a demonstration on Tuesday to get everybody to come out, right? So at these demonstrations, he would challenge people, like, bring me your handcuffs, and I'll escape. And so all different kinds of people would just randomly... He just became, like, so experienced in every type of handcuffs. And then finally there was this one guy who took him five years to make these, like, special handcuffs that nobody could get out of, right? And he's challenging Houdini, and finally Houdini is like, okay, are you ready? Well, I'm ready. I'll do it. So I think it was in San Francisco. So Houdini goes into San Francisco, and he, you know, this whole big media thing and and this whole big circus of media is going on, and they, you know, they lock up his arms, and he goes into this little box so nobody can see him and nobody can see how he's doing it right so he comes out of the box I'm, I'm telling this story from memory but it's a pretty popular story and a lot of other podcasts or like shows and books will explain it so it might be a little bit different from my memory but best I can here so basically he goes into this box and he ends up coming out I think it was like 30 minutes uh he comes out and he's like sweating profusely like like dripping sweat and so he's like goes to the guy and he's like hey like can you take I just need to take these off for a second so I can take my jacket off like I'm just sweating and we can put them right back on and I'll go right back in there and the guy's like no he's like I can't take them off he's like if I take them off you'll see how I take them off and that'll be an advantage to you. So he's like, "I can take him off, but you have to admit defeat." Mm-hmm. And so Houdini's like, "Mm-mm, <laughs> nice try." So before he goes back into his box in front of the audience in the crowd, he like finagles his arm into his pocket and grabs a, a pen knife and cuts his jacket off of himself yeah. <laughs> in front of the crowd. And so now the crowd's like going crazy, mm-hmm. like they're like, "Oh, hell yeah! Like he's got this." So then he goes back in the box for like another 20 minutes. And then he comes out and like, I think he just, he, he comes out for like just a second, he like needs a glass of water or something. He just needs something. And then he goes back in and he keeps like messing around with it. And finally, like he comes out and he's completely free of the, these, you know, unbreakable, unescapable handcuffs. And I think it took him like an hour and 10 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes inside this box it's
1: pretty crazy it's a long time the
0: crowds fucking going ape shit yeah it's a long time but it's also like proof like i know i am good at this like i am real Mm -hmm. this is like what i do and even though it was challenging it was not for me you Mm -hmm. know i can fucking beat it and he did what i thought was cool was he did give the guy props like he was like those were the hardest i have ever had to escape from and like just like kind of like saying his praises for a little bit in the media like he never wants to do that again (laughs) like those were very difficult now a lot of these handcuff tricks and a lot of these escape tricks he really just used sleight of hand that was really Mm -hmm. what it was it was a lot of these other tricks like his like the metamorphosis the chinese water trick um you know making the elephant disappear a lot of those ones they were just simple like he he was an inventor and he made his own machines and so you know you make a box with hinges that are loose on one end and you know the right place to push the hinge out and you can just get out of the box you know or whatever or like you know giant tank like you know that you can just do this and now your legs are free and you can completely like you know or you do one thing and with like these, like I think, uh, what was it on one of his boxes? He had a lock that like, it looked like it locked, but it never locked or something. I don't remember exactly, but so he, he invented these little things. So that was how he was, you know, escaping some Mm -hmm. of these tricks. But with his handcuff stuff, like a lot of that was just sleight of hand. Like him and Bess got really good at sleight of hand. He got good at swallowing things, uh, he had tricks where he would swallow a bunch of like safety pins or, or, uh, what are they called? Uh, sewing pins. Yeah. And then he would swallow a string and then he would pull the string out and they would all be threaded through the string.
1: That's fucking crazy. Yeah.
0: Um, he practiced when he was like younger, he practiced with, uh, potatoes. He would like peel a potato, uh, like a really small one, the size of maybe like marble. And he would like move it up and down his throat. And then he would do like a bigger one, like maybe the size of a golf ball and, like he would like train his throat to move things up and down so he could keep a key you Mm -hmm. know a small key or a small pick in his throat and open his mouth and there'd be nothing in it Mm -hmm. and also like he had these things with Bess where like they would kiss and she would hand him a key Mm -hmm. I think there was this one where I I think it was the one with the five year handcuffs I think it was that challenge where like she lifted, or oftentimes would do this, where she would lift the key from whoever had it, right? She would take it to the back, backstage, and they had this huge key ring of all these different keys for all these different types of handcuffs. And then she would try to match it. And she would get the one that is like the closest to it. And she would take that back. And then she would put the real one in her mouth, kiss Houdini and give it to Houdini. Mm-hmm. She would put the fake one, the one that looks like the original, back to you know, the guy that she, you know, had t- had lifted it from. Mm-hmm. And he is none the wiser. Then they do the trick, Houdini escapes, they switch back the keys so nobody ever knows. And a lot of times they would take those keys once they took them to the back and they would press them into a mold and then they could just make their own copy. Wow. So like they had this huge key ring <laughs> in the back. They just had all these different size keys and different They're like types of key colonists. Yeah. And so like, that was a huge part of like how they were accomplishing all this. Like he, damn near he got to the point where he could look at a pair, pair of handcuffs and know the key, mm-hmm. you know, and be like, all right, I got that one. Like, like, be, and be <laughs> very confident. Like I can get that one, that one, that one, that one. What the fuck is that one?
2: Yeah.
0: You know, like I'll need to, I'll need to swipe that key mm-hmm. <laughs> or like even probably gets excited. Like, Oh shit. I don't have that one yet. Like <laughs> I need that key we're about to have a new key babe everybody else back off you I'll take your challenge Mm -hmm. you know because I want your key or whatever so like I don't know I just thought that was super interesting like it was all sleight of hand Um, he had he had this is crazy he would um, keep a uh, like a metal plate on his kneecap like uh, like armor right but Mm -hmm. it would be underneath his pants you couldn't see it And so he knew that there was this one pair of handcuffs that he could just like bang on his kneecap and it would it would loosen, it would open him. <laughs> and so he would just keep this metal plate in his knee and whenever he had these certain handcuffs, he would just like slam it on his knee and it would like <laughs> open him. Like it was like, that's so crazy. Like, yeah. I don't know. I thought that was really awesome. And then the hinges thing, like he just always had little things that like maybe, it's like those mystery boxes that are like locked that you don't know how they open Mm -hmm. but like once you know how it opens it's super easy to open them but if you don't know how to open it like you're never gonna get it it's like so hard to figure out how to open it you know what i'm talking about yeah that's like his his inventions they're just like it looks like it's a door that opens and closes to you and that you know it does that function but it also has a completely different function that you'll never understand Mm -hmm. or never realize unless it's shown to you you know I know we're not explaining um, exactly what you know how he he did some of his tricks but that's how he did a lot of his tricks so All right well let's take one last quick break and then uh, we'll come back and, and wrap all this up in a nice straight jacket. <laughs> right and we are back let's dive back into the great mystifier houdini okay so these last couple things we'll kind of get through i don't know i wouldn't say quickly but we'll get through them okay so let's talk about this part um i thought this was really fun um so all of houdini's pets he was never able to have children they think it's because um bess she was i don't know if she was diagnosed or they just think that she had this um disorder or disability mm-hmm. um basically she couldn't have a, a period she couldn't menstruate uh there's a name for it but i cannot i cannot recall but she, basically she couldn't have a period and they're pretty sure that that was why they couldn't have children
2: mm-hmm.
0: there was something a rumor about Houdini, like maybe he was sterile or something and it was something was like, maybe it was with him, but they're pretty sure it was with Bess, like, because she couldn't have periods that had something to do with, they couldn't have kids. Oh, that makes more sense. Anyways. So because of that, they had a bunch of pets and side note, they made up their own child and they had like an imaginary kid. Um, whenever Houdini was like away from Bess they would write each other and they started writing each other about their imaginary son named after his father, Mayor. And then Houdini. So his son, Mayor. they started writing about him. They would write stories like, oh, mayor did this today. And, oh, mayor did this in school and this, that. And they would, like, just write stories back and forth about their imaginary son.
1: That is so bizarre.
0: It's very wild. And then they stopped writing letters about their son after he became president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> and then they stopped writing, like, <laughs> that was where his story ended. But... His pets are a lot more fun or a lot more like. Real. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> real. Um, so he had a Pomeranian named Charlie and a terrier named Bobby. And they both died at, I think, eight years old. But Bobby, like, Charlie died first at eight and then Bobby died at eight. The cool thing about Bobby, the terrier, was Houdini taught him tricks. Mm. And being Houdini, it was not. Lay down and roll over and <laughs> shake my hand. <laughs> he taught him somersaults. He had specially made handcuffs. I was going to say, are there baby
1: handcuffs involved?
0: Specially made straight jackets for Bobby, which he trained him to escape from. <laughs> <laughs> he taught him how to escape from the Bobby handcuffs, <laughs> and he called him Bobby the Handcuff King. <laughs> um, he also had. Two parrots both named Polly.
1: He named both of them Polly. Yeah.
0: Uh, he had one parakeet named Houdini and one turtle I didn't see the turtle's name and then one rabbit named Rudy. One of the parrots named Polly <laughs> learned how to pick a lock just by watching Houdini pick locks. Wow. Like in his like working area like I don't know like Mm-hmm. you know his 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 office or whatever he's got a parrot watching him pick locks and fuck with handcuffs the parrot learns how to pick locks and according to Houdini one day picks the lock of his birdcage and flies away
1: and leaves and leaves and the whole oh, time man.
0: he's the whole time Houdini can see him he's singing with joy <laughs> flying away
1: on to pick new locks
0: yeah I yeah <laughs> Onto the zoo to free all of his friends. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was was awesome. That
1: is so cute.
0: Uh, He was the original Patch Adams, who was. Uh, He would, like, because he couldn't have kids, so a lot of times he would go to hospitals and just do magic tricks for kids and do Mm -hmm. little clown shows and tricks. And this was really cool, but, like, out of all the times that he would, like, drum up press and drum up, like, publicity he never did it at the hospitals like people didn't yeah. know he, he was like that was like for him like he wants to give back and he wants to you know help somebody make somebody's life a little better and so he would go to these you know these um
1: also probably helped him if he wanted kids and they weren't able to mm-hmm.
0: yeah probably helped him too yeah 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 so i thought that was really awesome Um, David Copperfield has the biggest Houdini collection. He has the original Chinese water torture chamber. Wow. Which is kind of fucked up because Houdini wanted it destroyed Mm -hmm. when he died. Because he didn't want people to learn his tricks. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Copperfield has, has the, the chamber. Here's something crazy. Houdini. So we're going to get in back into some other stuff in his life in a second, but this is just kind of like some weird facts that i i wanted to throw in but houdini uh he got really obsessed with the fountain of youth Hmm. and like because he like started so early on his physique and his body he ended early like it gave up on him a lot quicker than than it would have so like in his 30s he's like i think it was when he was around like 36 he's like quoted as saying like this is not the same as it used to be. Like my body's like breaking down. I'm not Mm -hmm. gonna be able to do this forever. There comes a point where he starts doing more sleight of hand and card tricks and magic tricks and less escape tricks and body tricks Mm -hmm. and stuff that's really hard on him. And he would like, like, I mean, I think it got to the point where like the only thing he would do was like one metamorphosis a show and then the rest was like something else, you know, like sleight of hand and, you know, it even got to a point where like he wasn't he was just doing a monologue of his exploits like Mm -hmm. he would just tell people i did this and i did that and i did this and that and that and people started to get pissed like hey we're not coming yeah to hear about what you've done we're coming to see what you do Mm -hmm. and he i mean he was so big at that point he didn't really give a fuck and i mean your body's so tore up at that point like Mm -hmm. you really can't do much more So he would do, like, one Chinese water torture chamber thing or one metamorphosis or one escape trick, you know, per show instead of, like, the whole show was about that. So he got obsessed with this fountain of youth, this trying to, like, be younger again and get his body back. And and so he began to basically look for a way to reverse aging. And he found out there's this experimental transplant that you can do and basically it's called it's a monkey cell transplant to stay young basically what you do and what houdini was preparing to do what he was researching and really like thinking about doing was you basically remove a pair of monkey testicles and you graft them to your own testicles oh no
1: no no <laughs> and then
0: that (laughs) reverses the aging process and you begin to be younger and and (laughs) Mm,
1: i don't (laughs) like that
0: i was like dude my my jaw dropped i was like (laughs) what so he researched this for like four or five years and he really was close i think he was like thinking about doing it like so it other like really people
1: bad. were doing that
0: i'm sure they had like tested it on people oh, to see if it worked goodness. like the research had been started you know somewhere somehow so
1: people are weird man
0: i just thought that was crazy i mean well if it works like i feel like people would do it if it meant you could be younger again like i feel like people would probably do it
1: i just think it's a weird thing to think up like, um, what if we take monkey testes and hook them up to our testes and see what happens? Yeah, like,
0: how do you come up with that? Like, <laughs> hey, what if we cut these balls off and graft them to these balls and then we get younger?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what I was expecting you to say at all.
0: <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> so we'll mention a couple more things and then kind of move on, wrap it up. But... So Houdini, I've mentioned a couple times, he wanted to be and was the first person to fly a plane in Australia. So sometime in 1909, I think he was in France, and there's a couple different stories. I think there's three different stories of how Houdini got inspired to do this, and I'm not sure which one is true. So there's one story that he was like in Germany and he was watching somebody fly a plane for the first time and they crashed and landed like crash landed and burned up and you know whatever they were fine but he was like I want to do that and then there's another one where he was in France and basically saw somebody fly a plane same same similar thing the guy didn't really crash though he I think he swung around a couple times. And then landed. And then there was another time in. Or there's a different story where he's in France and somebody. I think it was in 1909 um, was the first time somebody crossed the English Channel in a plane. And it Mm. took like 36 minutes. So I think that was. I think that's the one that is true. I think it's like he heard about that or like witnessed that. And so he was like, I want to do that. And leave it to houdini to find out you know how to make that dramatic and and awesome (laughs) so he's like i want to be the first one to do it nobody's done it in australia so i'm gonna go do it there so he literally like buys a plane and goes learns how to you know fly it and uh it's like a little like wood and canvas plane and he goes to australia and flies it he also doing it in between like shows and shit while he's over there so like it's kind of crazy what he's actually doing, but he goes up, flies, I think he's up for like four minutes his first time, so he's officially the first person to fly a plane in Australia. And then he lands. And then he goes up again, I think he lasts for like seven minutes, and then he I think he crash lands. Like he falls out of the fucking sky, crash lands, and then has a show that night. <laughs> and then I think he does it again, he ends up lasting like I think twelve or 13 minutes something like that and he basically like says that he's gonna do it again and go for over 30 minutes and again that's how long it took the guy to cross the english channel so <clears throat> he, he never ends up doing that but he does break a couple of you know his own records mm-hmm. like he's the longest flying person for a while and he he promises to do that to to fly for over 30 minutes but he ends up never never reattempting it. I think his plane, basically he disassembles it and it ends up, I think he goes back to Europe with him and then it goes back to New York and he makes some comments in New York about how he's going to try and fly it and do something, you know, break a record here or there and pretty much ends up never putting it back together. Mm-hmm. Like he had kind of accomplished what he wanted to do and, you know. So I thought that was really interesting. Also, a lot of people don't realize that He had a pretty interesting movie career. Um, nineteen early nineteen hundreds movies are first starting to come out and he's pretty wealthy and pretty famous, so it makes sense to have him in a movie. He becomes the very first action hero. He does movies. I think he does like a western, he does like a spy thriller, he does like, you know, all these different types of like action y type movies. Like Mm -hmm. I think there's one with like a mad scientist and, and they kind of all end up shit though. Like Did they're you all watch pretty terrible. Any of it? Uh, I saw clips of one. It's really hard to like hear what he's doing and it's uh I think it's just like a scene where they're in a plane and so it's just like really hard to see what's going on and tell what's going on. But mm. <clears throat> other than that I couldn't find a whole lot. I'm sure they're out there though. Yeah. I mean like I'm sure they're not hard to find. I didn't look very hard, but from what I've read, they're kinda shit. <laughs> like they were they didn't bomb you know to say because like it was
1: it was also new
0: it was so new so everybody was going to see any of it like Mm -hmm. it was all so good but like with the lens of today like they were they were garbage (laughs) they weren't very well written they weren't very well produced or acted he was he was a producer so he like made his own you know production company and uh it just wasn't very well made, the movies at least. Um, I mean, like, they were, like, high high uh, production quality, right? Like, he put money into it, but just, like, the story wasn't very well written. He wasn't a very good actor. So that's kind of <laughs> where it was It's really...
1: shocking because he, he spent, like, so much time on stage. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, like, he was good, like, showman.
1: Yeah, performing.
0: Performing, but not so good acting. <laughs> like, they... they I don't remember the comments but there's like um you know newspaper articles written about how like he's not a good actor and how he pretty much the only thing he can act is like eating toast or something or what they said <laughs> but like basically he has no expression on his face when he's acting he's just like saying the words and I don't know but uh he had this one where he was like I, I don't think this was the one I saw, but he he had this one where he was uh, flying a plane and he was, like, supposed to... He was, like, in a plane battle, right? So there's two planes next to each other and he jumps from one plane to the other plane. And, you know, somebody actually did this and it was actually filmed. And it was supposed to be Houdini, but it wasn't actually Houdini. and Stunt double. Um, yeah, so he had the one of the, you know, first stunt doubles. So it's kind of and I think that's where people that's why it didn't it wasn't as big as he wanted it to be is because people realized pretty quickly like hey that might not have been you Mm -hmm. like you could have done movie magic and you it's it's one thing if you're doing it for us on stage we're looking at it and can't figure it out it's another thing if you could have edited it and like fucked with it after the fact and presented something that's you know not necessarily true so i think that that's kind of where it fell short for a lot of people for him like this isn't the same thing as what you had been doing Mm -hmm. even though you're trying to translate it into you know the motion picture it's not the same thing okay so this is the last little bit but basically um houdini was super close to his mother i think we i think i've mentioned a couple times but if i haven't um mama's boy he was very much a mama's boy he had made that promise to his dad to always protect and take care of her and provide for her so he did um there came a point where finally she ended up passing on and he actually ends up being buried right next to her oh but um sweet yeah so that's that's nice um he called like there's a famous picture of him with his wife and his mom and i think he even wrote in sharpie or marker or whatever uh my two sweethearts
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, he always
0: called him that he always called him like my two women my two ladies you know she was a very big part of his life and she ends up dying and that's really difficult for him uh hits him really hard i think he was in i know he was in europe when she died and his brother hardeen sent him a telegram and he basically like ignored it like it he was just like busy he was doing a show and so he didn't read the first telegram and then the next day he got another telegram and he waited until after his show so he went on he did his show and then he came off the show and he got the, the telegram and he read it and his mom it was about his mom passing away and he it's was, rough I think he fainted that is, <laughs> I think is what they said like he just fainted and then he woke up and was just like you know a little bit uncontrollable mm-hmm. and you know made it home he, I mean, he cared for his mom a lot. He had, I, I mentioned that he had bought her that uh, dress from the queen.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they told him that the only way you could wear it is if you never, is, the only way we'll sell it to you is if she never wears it in England. And so he bought her the dress, um, took her and, you know, all of his family and stuff, took everybody back to Hungary, back to Budapest to see all the people that, they had known you know mm-hmm. from the from living there so he gets all these people that they knew all the people that their family knew all of their family and they throw this big party where the theme is treat his mom like a queen Aww. and so <laughs> she wears the queen's dress and is treated like a queen for the whole party and they do like this whole like it's like a show you know kind yeah. of but like also like you know it's a party it's a party and so they're like treating her like the queen the whole time it's, it was really cool i thought that was really cool so uh he really cared about his mother and she ended up passing now at some point around this time he meets a friend named sir arthur conan doyle the guy who wrote sherlock Holmes. so he meets arthur conan doyle um Arthur Conan Doyle, ironically, is nothing like uh, uh, Sherlock, nothing like Sherlock Holmes. He is not logical, analytical, <laughs> realistic. <laughs> I don't know, maybe he is, but at least according to like Houdini's perspective, he's not the same character as his, his uh, character in his books. But Arthur Conan Doyle is very much into spiritualism, and Houdini's not so much. They become really good friends, and as, like, being polite, he's not trying to be, like, you know, fuck what you're into, dude, but that shit's dumb. So he's just, like, going along with it. Basically, it comes to a point where Arthur Conan Doyle invites Houdini to a seance. Well, kind of fucked up point about this that a lot of people leave out is that I think they were staying at the Doyle's place in somewhere in europe somewhere i think in england or london or whatever they're staying at their place and they invited houdini to a seance to try and reach his mother who had just passed so arthur conan doyle's wife is the medium and they tell him Bess is not allowed to come she has to stay why is that i don't know they just told him that she wasn't allowed to come like (laughs) houdini could come but it couldn't be best couldn't be with him and so I don't know, like, I don't know if it was like this, like,
1: because you're having feelings right now, you'll yeah. believe stuff and she'll try to tell you that this isn't real. Mm-hmm.
0: Like this, like weird power trippy, like mm-hmm. separate you type thing. I don't know. So my best couldn't come. So they take Houdini and they go do this seance and basically she writes, she, so her form of
1: mediating, mediumship, huh? mediumship.
0: yeah she is a what do they call it um an automatic writer i think is what it's called uh where basically like she can she goes in a trance and can write what the person is what the ghost is thinking or telling her to Mm -hmm. say so she basically does this i think it's called automatic writing and she basically writes 15 pages (laughs) she writes a fucking book 15 pages yeah and it's all about like you know how It's Houdini's mother, you know, in quotes, Houdini's mother talking to Houdini, saying how much she misses him, how much she loves him, how much she, you know, everything's okay, she's with her father, she'll see him soon, blah, 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 all this shit. So Houdini's, at the end of it, he's like, doesn't say much, but he's clearly like shaken or like just, you know, he's clearly feeling a type of way. Mm -hmm. And basically, he ends up leaving and is just kind of like, what the fuck? In reality, Houdini's like, Shh, this is fucking... I can't believe this just fucking happened to me. Like, does not believe it at all.
1: Okay, I was gonna ask, does he believe it right yeah, now? Yeah,
0: no. And for one, his mom never spoke English to him. She always spoke in either German or I think Yiddish. Uh, she really never... She spoke English sometimes when she had to, but never to him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And she was Jewish, Jewish. So at the top of the paper... What's her name? Um, I don't know. The, I don't know Arthur Conan Doyle's wife's name right now. But she writes... She draws a cross at the top of the... Mm, Dead to giveaway. Yeah. And then she writes and speaks in a completely you know, English accent, which is not how his mother would do. So, like, those two things alone were just kind of like red flags for Houdini. And he was just kind of like, you have offended me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he leaves. And they're kind of polite... And, um, cordial in, in public and in the media, like, they're kind of, they're not going at each other until, like, so, so directly after this, Conan Doyle basically, like, um, reporters ask him and he tells him that Houdini definitely believed it and he saw in his face, you know, the tears and, you know, blah, 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 like, he believes that Houdini believed it. Houdini responded in the papers and was like, no, 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 no i did not i did not fucking believe that like let me out of your bullshit (laughs) it was basically just like no and so they kind of like had the little back and forth a little back and forth in the media it came to like i think at one point they ended up having having another dinner together um all four of them Bess and houdini and arthur conan doyle and his wife and they had a sit down they had a dinner and they were polite you know I think it was in Las Vegas, too, or, like, it was somewhere in the the. Somewhere in the west. Anyways, so they had this, like, dinner or lunch or whatever, and then everything seemed fine. They went their separate ways, and the next day or a couple of days, Houdini sent in some stuff to the papers and was basically, like, Doyle's fucking crazy, spiritualism is bullshit, and I'm going to do everything in my power to fucking prove it. So, for the next, you know, couple years of his life, he kind of goes on this, like, crusade of, like, exposing spiritualism and spiritualists. And so he, like, will get these famous ones. He'll, like, dress up in a disguise, put on a beard and a mustache and, you know, look old or look young. Yeah, he'll literally go undercover to these spiritualists, sit through the whole thing, and then completely expose everything mm-hmm. like there was this one where this guy would like uh something to do with like a he would have a trumpet fly over the top of his head but like uh, he did it a certain way and basically houdini went in and and saw what was going on and then he put a uh black ring of like soot or mud around the uh a certain point on the trumpet or the tuba Mm -hmm. and basically he exposed the guy because when they turned the lights on there's this big ring of black sit on the guy's face or like wherever he had used to grab the the tuba or the trumpet it was like on his face and so like it was like right there like he just boom exposed like boom roasted and (laughs) (laughs) he would just go in and expose these people like you cannot you cannot go out and deceive people openly about their loved ones. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's what offended him so much is that he, he are trying to tell people that your loved ones are speaking to you. You're giving them some false hope that I don't know. He just did not approve of. So a lot of podcasts and a lot of like books and shows really go into the spiritualism part. Cause that was like the later half of his life and really kind of what he started to focus on now he traveled and did shows and toured all the way up until the end literally until the end but he did pretty heavily heavily focus on you know exposing these spiritualists and you know i think it even became like a proponent like he he became began uh lobbying for like certain laws on spiritualism like being outlawed and stuff like he was like very serious about about you know getting the shit fucked (laughs) um okay so the very last part is houdini's death there's a couple myths about how he died for some reason there's a myth that got propagated or like just spread around that it's kind of like the mandela effect thing i think a little bit Mm -hmm. but like a lot of people think he died do you know how he died or do you...
1: Well, yeah, but... Just because we've done the... Yeah, I thought he died with because of a trick. Yeah. Like, I grew up thinking that. Yeah. A lot of people Something thought... Something about water. Mm-hmm. Locked in a chest in water.
0: Yeah, a lot of people think that he died in the water, water torture chamber. The Chinese water torture chamber. So that's like a really popular myth that a lot of people think, like, oh, he just... Something happened and he didn't come up or he died but uh that's actually not true he actually died in a very stupid way mm-hmm. so i think it was in toronto and he was doing a show there was oh god so i the book that i read really went in depth into this story and let me pull that book up real quick because i have it right here okay so there's a book called. Um, Houdini by uh, Adam Bagley. That's a really, really awesome book I would recommend reading. And then there's another book called The Life and Afterlife of Houdini by Joe Posnansky. That one's really good as well. And that one goes a little bit more in depth, I think, into the spiritualism uh, stuff. But the other one, um, Houdini by Adam Bagley, that one's really, really awesome. Goes into a lot of a lot of in-depth stuff about his earlier life and a lot of good stuff. Really, just a lot of like good nuggets that I I hadn't heard of about Houdini, and was really really fascinating. So I'd recommend those two books for sure. And the book by Adam Bagley he explains kind of what was going on. And there was this college kid who basically had went to. I think they were in Toronto and he had, he was going to one of the colleges there and he went to see Houdini and he was sketching him for like their newspaper or something. Mm-hmm. And so he was going backstage to talk to Houdini and, ah oh man, I'm trying to remember what exactly had happened. I think Houdini had lent him a book. And so he was going backstage to return the book. And so he was talking with Houdini and they were just kind of, you know, um small talk right they're just talking chatting and then these other two college kids come in and I do not know if maybe they were the ones who were returning the book or if they were just there as fans to kind of you know fanboy out and just get his autograph or talk to him you know question him whatever so they're back there as well and they're asking him about how you know hey we heard that you can take a punch from any man and and that you've challenged you know any man can punch you and you'll you'll take the punch and so he's like kind of just talking with him and he's like yeah you know blah, blah blah and houdini goes over and he lays down on his couch and he's just kind of chatting with him you know and so the guy's like okay well can i can i try can i punch you no and houdini's like yeah okay you know and he's like i imagine it as like he's kind of like getting up like maybe like he's laying out on this couch and he's like okay yeah let me get he's about to start getting up and get ready and this kid just lays into him like three or four times just a couple of like huge like just strong punches as hard as he can right into houdini's abdomen and houdini wasn't prepared for it he wasn't flexing he wasn't like bracing himself and mm-hmm. his you know his abs and he wasn't ready for it so fucked him up so the story goes, <clears throat> he basically goes on and does the next show uh, the next day, you know, his stomach's hurting or whatever, and he just kind of ignores it and goes on and does another show, and they pretty much think that, like, okay, so his appendix burst, right? Uh, so by the time they get to the hospital, he it's too far gone, and he, he's not going to make it. He ends up living a couple more days, and then he ends up passing on. Um, they basically think that if these boys wouldn't have punched him, he probably would have gone to the hospital because.
1: He just thought the pain was from the punch. He
0: thought the pain was from the punch. And so he was like, I'll just, you know. It'll go away yeah, in I'll just a few deal days. with days. Yeah, I'll just heal from this. This is nothing. It hurts, but I'm old. Mm-hmm. And so he's just probably like, whatever. But had he not been punched and he had that pain, he probably would have been like, okay, this is. you check this out what's going on Mm -hmm. anyways basically yeah, his appendix ruptured and especially back in those days like you don't have a lot of time you don't have a lot of like ways to solve that um that problem so um pretty pretty sad pretty crazy way for him to have gone Uh, i think if i can remember he died in the hospital Uh, I cannot remember. Anyways, um, so he passes on. He tells Bess she is going to have a seance every year on the day that he died, which was October 31st, 1926.
1: The best day to have a seance.
0: The best day to have a magician be remembered okay <laughs> you thought i was gonna say die
1: <laughs> no nah, i wasn't sure. Wait, okay.
0: <laughs> um yeah so he died on halloween 1926 at 52 years old and he told bess hey just to prove <laughs> that this seance shit is bullshit every year from the dead i'm yeah, gonna prove <laughs> every year have a seance on halloween for me and if it's real if i can reach you i will and you'll know it Because I will give you the secret code word. This is from memory, so it might be a different word, but I'm pretty sure the secret code word is Rosabelle. And if she hears that at the seance, she'll know that it's real. And that he... They were wrong. You know, they've proved... So one way or the other, in his death, he's gonna prove Mm -hmm. either spiritualism is real or it's fucking not. And i think she had the seance for like 10 10 or so years after that uh came to a point where she kind of was like all right nothing's happening so Mm -hmm. and then even like it came comes to a point where she dies so you know just kind of that secret word or whatever was exposed and now it's not really secret anymore so whatever but they still hold the seance every halloween and you can st- i think you have to be invited but uh if you get invited you can go to his seance and you know possibly be one of the people to speak with him i thought that was cool so if anybody's listening who has invites and is in charge of sending out invites contact us at aliens after dark the number nine at gmail.com and we will tell you where to send those invites <laughs> mailbox because i would go would you go
1: yeah i'm all about a good seance
0: i'm all about a good houdini (laughs) (laughs) oh man that would be cool yeah that would be fucking badass so yeah that's that's pretty much it that's that's a lot of his life we've gone about three hours now Mm -hmm. and uh (laughs) he's fascinating man like so <clears throat> what did you find most interesting about his life?
1: Mm, maybe the the pets. I think that was pretty interesting. Yeah. And he trained some of his pets to, like, pick locks and get handcuffs off. That's fucking crazy to me. Like, I guess the parrot taught itself, but...
0: Still. The dog. Yeah, teaching a dog how to get out of a straitjacket. Yeah. Like, this is next level. <laughs> like, I mean, even, like... All Caesar Milan's dogs can do is fucking listen to him. Like, they can't get out of (laughs) straitjackets. And he's the dog whisperer. (laughs) Maybe that's what Houdini might have been. Like, the dog whisperer or animal whisperer.
1: I also think it was pretty interesting, the way that he went out. It's, like, so...
0: So, like, unexpected. Yeah. Like, you never would have thought, like, he just goes out at 52. He wasn't even old. Yeah. 52 years old, like... What do you think? Well, shit, dude. Every fucking bit of it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved this this episode. Like this was so much fun researching, so much fun like fi- like finding out all this crazy shit that like I I've always been a big fan of Houdini and kind of like always been interested and fascinated with his stuff. One of my first paintings that I ever did was an image of, I think it's, like, the size of, like, like, basically, like, your top refrigerator door. Like, it's this huge painting, right? The size of, like, a refrigerator door of Houdini standing in, like, kind of bent over in shackles. Mm-hmm. Um, like, one of his old old posters. Yeah. But, so I've been super fascinated with Houdini, like, my entire life. I did not know this stuff about his pets. I didn't know... <laughs> i didn't know so much of this man this was such a good one because like i didn't know the stuff about his fake son yeah (laughs) i didn't know he was the first person to fly a plane in australia he was a movie star like i had known a lot of like his other stuff his magic stuff i knew the spiritualism stuff gets like kind of overplayed the stuff about his death like i kind of knew all of that but just the extra stuff and the extra part of his life, like, I, there's a lot of it Like he really didn't know. Oh, one part that I didn't mention is how fucking genius he was in, so he, he really didn't like it when people stole his tricks, right? But the only way he could legally stop somebody from stealing his tricks was to patent them. And if you're going to patent your tricks, you have to explain how they work and explain the secrets. And he was not about doing that. So, he found a fucking loophole, and he started copywriting his tricks as if they were a play, and then you couldn't, you couldn't reuse them. You couldn't do them if you weren't him. So he would have one person watch his entire show, and then he would copyright that as a play, as a one-man show, and nobody else could then do those tricks. And so that was like his way of like legally you know cutting everybody off from his secrets and his his stealing his ideas and i thought that was fucking brilliant there was one point where i think it was in germany where he gets uh, a police officer like basically calls him out for fraud and says like he was trying to um, bribe the officer for the keys or you know to let him out or whatever and he basically goes in front of a judge and proves himself innocent and proves himself in a court of law to be a master handcuff king. So like, then he gets this like endorsement from a from a federal you know whatever judge, from a judge. You really know what the fuck you're doing. You're legit. And so like, he gets this these backings, and then he realizes that he can't patent them. So he wants to, and has the idea of copywriting. And so he like, just all these little things that he does are like so smart that you wouldn't necessarily think of like using these things to your advantage like calling the newspapers and setting up these demonstrations before the night before your show you know or the morning before your show and then that makes your shows sell out like it's brilliant doing a copyright instead of doing a patent Mm because you don't want people to know your secrets like that's fucking brilliant like people don't just think of those types of things you know but so i mean all of it i think all of it was awesome and apologize because it's not really a conspiracy one i just felt like this was a story that was too good to to you know leave in a book Mm -hmm. like i really found this one interesting and i hope you guys did too if you did definitely let us know what you thought of this episode if you liked if you liked this one uh we are gonna have we're definitely having some more come up here soon uh i think we're doing a couple more alien ones coming up and yeah, we got some fun fun stuff planned. I don't want to give it away yet, but uh just keep your ears out.
1: Yeah, don't give all of our secrets away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alright, well on that note, uh, it's time to Ooh, it's time to unwrap this jacket. <laughs> Alright. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, questions or thoughts. Email us at aliensafterdark, the number nine, at gmail.com. Keep looking up because it's always dark somewhere. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.